heading out over towards uh, Vancouver Island. And so I said to Lloyd, follow that UFO. <laughs> okay, guys, welcome back to this week's uh, edition of the America show. Uh, we're going to be talking with Terry Tabando about C-SETI and UFOs a little bit later. Uh, and of course, we've got the one and only RPJ joining us. But first, as always, how's it going tonight, Graham? We are recording just east of the Rockies, outside of Calgary, Alberta, <laughs> in the Igloo 2. Igloo 2.0. I'm doing good, buddy. Right on. How's it going, Red? Hey, guys. How's it going? Nice. It's been, yeah, it's been a nice evening. Yeah, right off the bat, I suppose uh, we should mention, as we're recording this, uh, we just got on the Twitter, it, we just got informed of a... Uh, an earthquake off the coast of Chile and tsunamis heading out and shit. So as usual, terrible news. Um, anytime there's a tsunami involved. Uh, so our hearts, uh, hearts go out and hopefully everyone can get the fuck out of the way. Yeah. Our heart goes to all our friends in Chile, Bolivia, and all the people who might get affected that deep by this, uh, current development. Yeah, and hopefully uh, by the time it gets to New Zealand, our Kiwi ambassador isn't uh, isn't at any risk. Hopefully, uh, you're hearing this uh, alive and well, Jared. Yeah. Um. So hey, I got uh, right off the bat. I got this for your RPG. Have you heard uh, the latest news on the the hijacked flight? Or sorry, no, the, the, the missing, missing plane. plane. <laughs> the missing plane. Yeah, I checked. I said, "What the fuck? <laughs> what?" Apparently, like that's the news you have. Yeah. yeah. No. Well, apparently, this came out today that Philip Wood, he was a passenger on the plane, an IBM engineer, uh-huh. has allegedly posted a uh, a picture of black on his Facebook account with text that says he's been uh, he's allegedly at the Diego Garcia uh, military base. A picture of black? Yeah, apparently the picture was just black. So I guess he had a uh, he had smuggled a phone in his ass after his plane was hijacked. Hopefully it wasn't a Galaxy Mega. Hopefully, oh. hopefully it was a little flip phone, like one of those little sleek <laughs> LGs. No, it was actually an iPhone 5. Is it a picture of his large intestine then? Why is it black? I, I, probably because he's in a dark room, or he might have, they figure he might even have taken the picture like, it's just like an automatic thing, maybe. That's the easiest thing he could do. If he takes a picture, he knows it automatically gives him the option to post it on his Facebook account. He knows where to press that on his phone. And then oh. they figure maybe even text-to-speech it. Or Anyway, I think it's originally from jimstonefreelance.com. I'm reading it off the Epoch Times. So, and apparently there's, this guy is saying that, Wood is saying that he can confirm that the geolocation from the EXIF data on the phone matches the coordinates of Diego Garcia. Why does that sound like uh, Grateful Dead? Or a soccer player. The U.S. US Diego Garcia military military and intelligence base? Yeah, Mm -hmm. so I'll read you the text that... uh, Where where is it here? The, The text that allegedly accompanied the picture. Okay. I can't get that Monty Python scene out of my head of the guy in the castle. I've been stranded against my will. My father is holding me captive. 
season. Well, <laughs> all I want to do is sing. <laughs> so here it is. Uh, the photo was, was posted with the following text. I have been held hostage by unknown military personnel after my flight was hijacked. I work for IBM and I have managed to hide my cell phone in my ass during the hijack. I've been separated from the rest of the passengers and I am in a cell. My name is Philip Wood. I think I have been drugged as well and cannot think clearly. The man claimed to be blindfolded when he sent the message. So who knows? That uh, seems like a crazy. It says that the iPhone 5 was confirmed by the EXIF data and it doesn't look like he even mentioned where he was or did he? I don't know. I, I, to be honest, I just popped this open right before we came on the air with you. But okay. So uh, that's pretty good spelling for a blindfolded dude. Text to speech, buddy. Oh, man. That's okay. That's pretty good spelling from text to speech. Have you ever tried that? Well, I don't slur. My monotone, my, my so called monotone demeanor is pretty good for text to speech. <laughs> so can you fit a fucking iPhone 5 up your ass, though, really? That's what we need to find out, I guess. So, <sighs> well, here in Grand America, we're always willing to take one for the team. Graham, don't you have an iPhone 5? Really? <laughs> Real, relax and lots of lube. I would, the I would, I would do it. And no, we have to turn do it. your you settings on. No, vibrate. no, no, no. You have to do it like he did it right now. I'm going to time you. Just <laughs> turn your settings on. Wipe your clothes on because you can't get naked on the plane. I would do it, but mine's a 5s, so I don't know what the structural differences are. No, I can't. I can tell you right now. Without some time, you know, naked with lots of lube, it ain't going to happen. What about fear of death? No, you can't. Then it'd be harder. Your sphincter would be fucking clamped shut. Yeah, man. Anyway, we'll have to see where that comes from. Interesting maybe, development, though. Maybe feel, those those new core of the LG phones, you know, <laughs> maybe those will be easier. Well, I think there was like some fucking, they were already kind of people were pointing in that direction because of radar shit and because of fuel uh, something or other. It's not the first time that that military base has come up, I don't think. So what's the, what's the theory exactly? Because I, I, I don't think I'm following, you know. Why are they being kept uh, hostage? Well, I mean, why are they in the, at the base? Well, that's just it, isn't it? it? It comes back to my theory. It's a black ops test, right? But no, yeah, or something more. That's not really my theory. It's just an idea. But sorry for all the vulgarity here at the start of this. I feel bad yeah. for Terry Tabando, our, our guest, my old buddy on this podcast. This isn't what the, all the intros are like. Oh, well, it's close. It's close. <laughs> yeah, speaking of intros, we'd like to give a formal introduction to uh, Barbados for joining the Empire. The Empire? I don't know. What do you want to call it? A love pyre? Hegemony. The hegemony, man. That just sounds, that sounds dirtier than fucking Love Empire. <laughs> no, 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 no. Hegemony, baby. So welcome, Barbados. Glad to have Barbados. you on board. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, oh yeah, and of course our money bomb, the American money bomb. We didn't quite get there. We got nine, uh, nine people, a few subscribers. Thanks to everyone who's, who's subscribed. I think we got five subscribers now and nine total uh, sign-ups for the money bomb, but we're not quite... Like, like we said in the beginning, we don't want to give it give out unless it's a hundred bucks. Right. So uh, we didn't quite make it. So we're gonna roll that over till next month. I think there's like about there must be seventy or eighty bucks in there now. So I mean, we should hit it next month for sure. 
Yeah, hopefully. And and we should probably just quickly explain what the mummy 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 bomb. bomb. Fucking <laughs> every bomb. time now. <laughs> But the money bomb is it's a way to contribute to our show and we will gift half the donations or contributions back to uh, a lucky listener. And you can enter by subscribing uh, or just donating a, a dollar amount, or you can even just send a postcard in or send an email of a pic of our flyer from the website. Yep. And of course the last two are no donation required to keep everything on the level. And uh, it's not a lottery. <laughs> hmm. So what were you saying about some cats? Some fucking... You guys were talking about cats before the... Oh, just zo- my Zeus. My, uh, my Zeus. My cat's going crazy. He's going feral? No, feral. no, no. No, he's just very needy. Well, you got to be careful, man, because if Zeus might get... Uh, might retribute on you and you know, might keep you hostage on your apartment. No. That's this goes back. That we talked about this like 20 episodes ago. There's no way cats are fucking taking down people. Well, that's the news, you know. That, that's something that even Micah, our friend Micah Hanks, discussed in the Grayling Report. How there, oh. there was this news that uh, a 22-pound Malaysian... No, no. Himalayan? Uh, Himalayan? Himalayan cat. Uh, that uh, apparently it... Uh, there, there, there was this baby in the family, and and the cat maybe harmed the baby, and then you know the the the, the parents went and tried to correct the cat, and the cat the cat threw a fit, you know, and they and the cat kept the whole family hostage, you know, they had to call the police and all that, you know, to restrain the animal. Did the police like take? I, Darren, Darren, <laughs> he I doesn't even know where to fucking cat... begin. Like cat can have much control over the family. If the fucking house cat is hurting your kid and you can't, you're locked in the room from because you're scared of the cat. You shouldn't have a kid. A kid or a cat? Either, obviously. You can't (laughs) fucking. If my dog turns on me, I'm gonna kick its fucking ass. Not fucking hide from it while it harasses my kids. Mm. My my dog would never turn on me though because it's not a fucking cat. Cats are fucking evil and. I don't know. I that's got to be bullshit. There's a cat show coming up in Calgary. I'll have to ten fucking twenty-two pound cats would outweigh me, and I will still take them down. You find ten twenty-two pound cats and fucking find a cage and set it up. You obviously haven't never seen the movie Pet Cemetery. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, that was a fucking creepy one back yeah. in the day. I wonder if it'd be as scary now if you watched it. I think we might have actually even talked about this before. But I don't know. I go back to my initial statement on cats, man. Even a pack of cats, a herd of cats, or what did we decide a thing of cats was? A murder? Yeah. A no, murder. that's crows. Oh, yeah. yeah. We've been over this before, too. Yeah. This, but anyway. I'm getting deja vu here. Five cats <laughs> aren't taking me down. Ten cats aren't taking me down. One cat sure as fuck ain't. Why don't you come to the cat show with me and you'll realize how, how truly unique and friendly and loving cats are. We're talking about a cat that fucking attacked a baby and then scared the parents off. They had to call the cops. You know, maybe the, the, the news has been overblown. You know, maybe the cat didn't actually attack the baby and maybe he didn't, you know, kept the family hostage. You know, maybe just my, there was all a big misunderstanding and the cat's on cats, framed. Man. You know, the cat's a patsy, man. <laughs> yeah, the cat's a patsy. Dad <laughs> yeah. came home drunk and blamed the yeah. cat. Yeah, next thing you know, you know, the cat was on the grassy knoll. <laughs> yeah. Or the cat just disappears. Yeah. Yeah, the cat was, is the one testing. 
<laughs> on the uh, iPhone kept up, uh, up someone's ass. <laughs> yeah, you gotta throw that phone out. <laughs> hey guys, have you seen the movie uh, Noah yet? Noah. Is that about the Ark? Yeah, the one by uh, Darren Aronofsky with, with Russell Crowe, Jennifer Connelly, and uh, Emma Emma Watson. Yeah, I never even heard about it. Oh I man, you you gotta you guys gotta get get to see it. I I saw it uh, last night uh, because uh, my friend Rick from the Daily Grail, you know, recommended it, and it really is worth seeing it. You know, it's it's a great movie. It's it, it's not what I. Originally thought it was going to be, you know, some kind of lame uh, retake on the uh, how, how have biblical I not heard version. About this? I don't know. It's a pretty, it's pretty like an epic movie, eh? Red. That's what happens when big. I cancel cable. I know, I know. That's a problem. Maybe, but it well, really. That's a synchronicity for me. I'll give that a four on the Why? synchronicity scale. Oh, oh, just a side project that Graham and I are working on. Oh. But it really is an, it was an interesting take, Yogo, because um, it kind of felt like almost like a post-apocalyptic uh, uh, story, you know, of someone, you know, uh, uh, Noah living, you know, in the in the far future, you know, after the world has been ravaged, you know, by uh, by the greed and the overconsumption of, uh, of our civilization. But it was actually, you know, it's like an a pre-apocalyptic story uh, set in the distant past. You know, so there was all these uh, nice parallels. You know, this idea that uh, Aronofsky is kind of giving giving us a current message that you know that if we don't correct our ways, you know our civilization is going to be also wiped out of the earth, you know, by, by the forces of nature. When you said you went to see Noah before we recorded, I thought it was a band. No, no, man. I'm talking about Noah. Noah, the, the, the biblical patriarch, you know, the guy who built the ark with all the animals. 300 about... cubits by 50 cubits. Yeah, yeah but also the, the, the cool idea is that, you know, I, I, I'm kind of mildly spoiling it for people who, have, who haven't seen it yet. The well, idea I that... haven't seen it. Well, okay, so the idea is that, you know, I don't know if you guys have seen uh, previous uh, cinematic takes on the Bible story, you know. So there's this movie, The Bible, with uh, John Huston playing the, the role of Noah, no? And you see John Huston going about his way, and then he sees, he hears the voice of God, you know, say like, Noah, you know, Noah, you have to build an ark. And you guys like, yeah, Noah going complies, he builds... The Ark by Was it Morgan himself. Freeman? No, 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 no. I'm talking Was about Morgan John Freeman H God? <laughs> no, man. I'm talking about John Huston. Like, <laughs> this movie is like 30 years old. So is Morgan Freeman. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but anyway, the idea is that now in this new interpretation, you know, Noah doesn't hear the voice of God. He has like visions, you know, like... like, like uh, Hallucinations? Yeah, and then he goes to his uh, grandfather Methuselah, who's played by Anthony Hopkins, you know, and he says, you know, I don't, I have these visions, and I don't know what they mean. And Anthony Hopkins, he he gives him uh, uh, a tea that is actually, you know, some kind of uh, a psychedelic brew, and that helps Noah, you know, understand the message of God. And it's like, ah, so God is about to uh, wipe out, you know. Uh, destroy the world, you know, and he wants me to build an ark. 
Wow. That sounds, that sounds cool. Yeah, it is incredibly cool. You know, I, I really, really recommend you guys see it. I, I, I have seen some criticism from the, from, from the movie and like my, my over fundamentalist auntie, you know, who is, you know, likes, loves to, to quote the Bible and all that. He went, she went to see it and uh, he didn't like it at all. And I didn't, and I was like, what? But then my cousin, who is like this comic books geek, he, re- he recommended it to me. And I say, you know, why is, you know, what's, what's with this? You know, then I, I went to see it and I understood it. You know, it's, it's a really great epic story and also a very interesting um, allegory to our current times. Nice. Yeah, we'll have to check that out. And we know what that means. <laughs> All yeah. right, here we go. Okay, once again, verbatim. I'm reading it right off the paper. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we have indeed been contacted, perhaps even visited, by extraterrestrial beings and the u.s government in collusion with other national powers of the earth is determined to keep this information from the general public the purpose of the international conspiracy is to maintain a workable stability among the nations of the world and for them in turn to retain institutional control over the respective populations thus for these governments to admit that there are beings from outer space with mentalities and technological capabilities obviously far superior to ours could once fully perceived by the average person erode the foundations of the earth's traditional power structure political and legal systems religions economic and social institutions could all soon become meaningless in the mind of the public the national oligarchical establishments even civilization as we now know it could collapse into anarchy such extreme conclusions are not necessarily valid but they probably accurately reflect the fears of the ruling classes of the major nations whose leaders particularly those in the intelligence business have always advocated excessive governmental secrecy as being necessary to preserve national security red do you know who that was by uh, George Bush. <laughs> <laughs> that was no. from Victor Marchetti, the former special assistant to the executive director of the CIA, May 1979. Does it say mm. assistants, like plural? No, it says assistant, and I mispronounced it. Okay. Bastard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I find it fascinating. I kind of agree with all of it, except from the fact that they, he clearly he had the certainty that we are talking about extraterrestrial entities. I'm not so certain about certain about that anymore. Extra dimensional. No, not even that, you know, maybe we're talking about something that for which we don't currently have a proper mental framework to comprehend. Yeah. Maybe they're entheorestrials. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> nice. That is, yeah, that's an interest. Yeah, that's a good uh, concept. 
Entheresterials? Entheresterials. Yeah. Uh, now I can't say it again. <laughs> I'll just dub out that one bit. And... Basically, that means there are alien gods, right? Something like that. Something along those lines. Anyway, oh, as much fun as I'm having talking to you guys, the intro with Terry did run like two and a half hours, which I think puts him like number two to Grant Cameron now for length. It's always when we talk about UFOs and consciousness, we just can't shut up. Yeah, that was a great, huh. a great chat with Terry. Lots great. of good stuff in there. C SETI, all that. Yeah. He's, uh, well, it's the same sort of lines as Richard talks about. Steven? Steven, yeah, the other brother. <laughs> Have you heard of Terry? Or listen to him or anything red? No, I don't think I've half. Yeah, this is like a pluck, a good pluck for us. Graham's kind of a, he kind of flies under the radar. So, you know, he hasn't been on a lot of shows. And I think our listeners are really going to be really fucking eat up what he's got to say. Because yeah. it was fascinating. It's one of those interviews you're expecting it to go an hour or so. And then, you know, two and a half hours later, you're wrapping it up because it's almost mid <laughs> almost midnight. Not because you're running out of things to talk about. Yeah, and he's got a huge, huge book coming out too, which will oh, yeah, be, uh, like, which will be great. Yeah, yeah, 2, right. twenty five hundred pages. But Whoa. I think we've convinced him to knock it into a like a little mini set, a box set, a books box set. So uh, if you guys don't have anything else, no, nope, that's it. Uh, yeah. All right, guys. Well, uh, we'd like to thank everyone and uh, enjoy the interview. Of course, best in all worlds. What's that? That's. That's Terry's uh, signature. Oh, oh, best in all worlds. This and the next and the last and the former and the latter. and the... Something like that. It might not be exactly how he says it. But... All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the interview with uh, Terry. Like I say, it is pretty long, but it's uh, it's worth every minute of it. So make, stick in there. Hang in there. Stick in hmm. there. Stick Stick with it. Stick with it. Stick to it. Stick to itiveness. Stick to itiveness. <laughs> Okay, guys, uh, welcome back to the Grimerica Show. We're going to be chatting with Terry Tabando here in a few minutes. Uh, but first, how's it going tonight, Graham? Hey, Darren. Doing pretty good, buddy. Yeah, last interview in the igloo. This is our last one in this location. Yeah, we're moving yeah. down the road. Moving house. <laughs> moving house and studio. Yeah, it's a big move. So tonight we have Terry Tabando with us, as Darren mentioned. Terry's been the coordinator of CSETI Vancouver since the early 90s, and that's when I first met him. And he's not just sitting around on the couch. He's been out there practicing protocols to make contact with whoever is piloting this aerial phenomena. Now he's just about finished a book. It's a textbook of sorts on UFOs and contact, which we'll be getting into in, in great depth here. And we're really looking forward to hearing about your experiences in Grimerica tonight. Welcome, Terry. 
Oh, but thank you very much for having me. Good yeah, to, we've been... uh, good to see you again, uh, Graham. Yeah, yeah, you too. It's been yeah, like twenty so years. You guys have been. Uh, you guys have your paths have come back across each other after twenty years. Yeah, we got to get you back out uh, with us again, and um, you know, with the weather being kind of like it is, you know, the off and on rain, and uh, some of the cool evenings, it, it makes it kind of hard to to do anything, and yet sometimes. Uh, the best uh, field trips that we've had have been in crappy weather. And mm. uh, sometimes uh, it could be overcast, it could be uh, cool, and we may have to bundle up uh, for that. Usually we try not to go out when it's too wet because obviously uh, equipment gets uh, uh, wet as well and it possible damage. and It kind of demoralizes the spirits a little bit, but... Um, yeah, yeah. I'm surprised we didn't we didn't cross paths in the UFO Vancouver meetup group because um, just before I moved to Calgary, I started going to the UFO meetup group, and then shortly after I moved here, I noticed you were uh, you were attending there. So we we almost bumped paths there, but that was yeah. that was always a fun group to to hang around with. Yeah, I I uh, went to one meeting out of curiosity, and I was I guess I was going there to network uh, to see who. Um, who was there? And um, the the thing was that uh, I went in with basically my my C with my C SETI on it, and immediately I got kind of pounced on by uh, two or three guys, and uh, one of them, or, or or at least two of them, were abductees. And I thought, oh, okay, <laughs> you know, because I don't buy into the abduction. But they said, oh, C SETI, you know, that's Doctor Greer's group, blah blah blah. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. we, we really don't. Uh, I uh, think he's really knows what he's talking about. Well, I beg to differ. And uh, the, the thing was that with the meetup group, uh, you know, it brings out a lot of eclectic types of personalities. Oh, yeah. And uh, so I kind of anticipated that. And I said to the guys, because they were really getting into it. And this went on for about a good 15 minutes or so. And I was saying, hey, you know, we're really here to listen to this other fella. Uh, we should, really should end our conversation. And let's see what he has to say, right? And <laughs> I, I tell you, it, it was a real uh, gong show. But well, uh, the, the thing you may not uh, know is I'm also an assistant organizer for Meetup. Yeah, yeah, I did notice uh, that. Yeah, and so I, uh, my main function is really just to um, uh, promote uh, C-SETI and C-SETI Vancouver. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's basically why I got involved in that. Yeah, it's good to, to be around some like-minded people, though. See, we don't even have a Meetup group about UFOs in Calgary yet. So Vancouver is definitely way ahead there. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, uh, from what I can tell, is that um, they put, like, the Meetup is a sort of an international body mm -hmm. and an organization. And if you go into their website, uh, you can basically follow along and you can start something up. Now, normally they, they'll ask you for, uh, I think it's a, uh, 11 or 12 or 13 dollar uh monthly um, um yeah there's a small fee to, to i don't pay it. anything and not because i'm an assistant organizer because i don't advertise the only way i'm advertising is i put put something on their website and uh, i come up with my own little logo and put out whatever 
information I need to put out to attract people. And I've had all kinds of people phone me up, email me. Uh, so there, there's obviously an interest there. And yeah, yeah. It's, it's very easy for anybody to do. Uh, it just takes a little uh, investigation, a little bit of uh, finessing. And yeah. Well, it's good you're using some of that that social media to to arrange meetups. I mean, that's how I found out about meetup actually though, is through the UFO group. Cause I, I bumped into those UFO guys at the planetarium once and they told me about this meetup thing. And now I use meetup to find all kinds of other interesting things like meditations or whatever, yep. you know, other like-minded people. Yeah, uh, for, for sure. I mean, as I say, it's whatever kind of interest that you're, uh, you have, and you, you definitely do find the like-minded people, and uh, it's surprising who comes out. I mean, everybody uh, right across the whole strata of society, uh, whether they're uh, willing to admit that they're a doctor or a professor or this or that, they do show up to some of these events. I, I got one fellow who's a professor and I believe he, he teaches mathematics and physics and he comes out, you know, and, yeah. um, you know, we, he, he really wanted to start his own organization, but I don't think he got anybody showing up. And I think he wanted it as a very top end, very high intellectual uh, group of people. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm sure that he could still attract those types of people. But the thing is that a lot of us are really coming from the, uh, the everyday walk of life, uh, and these are the people that get involved in any kind of UFO uh, organization. Yeah, yeah. So I wonder how I even found, like, I'm sure I heard of CSETI through, Weren't like, back in 94. you laptop or something? What? Weren't you using your laptop to power? Back then? Yeah. No. No, like, I don't know how I would have, I probably found out about you guys through a conference because Vancouver had a couple of conferences back then. There was some crop circle stuff. Like I remember Colin Andrews being there around and, and I might've even seen Greer at a conference or something, but I definitely think that I found out about CSETI and, and, and started my adventure there through, uh, oh, I seen your card. Yeah. I got the card. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I don't so, think so there's websites and stuff cards, back then. Or one of, one of your own. No, one of yours, I think. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, well, the thing is, uh, as I was just saying uh, prior to the beginning of your show here, is that um, I got involved back in '92. I was, I, I've actually had experiences since I was a child, mm -hmm. uh, since I was about five years old, and uh, that's over sixty years ago. So I'm dating myself. I'm sixty-five. And uh, you don't look a day over 35. <laughs> hey, right on. <laughs> you, well, you know, the thing is, I, I do try and look after myself, keep myself in shape. Um, you know, I, I've got 10 years on Greer. And the funny thing is that we both have had similar experiences. And uh, my, as I say, my experiences go back uh, since I was five years old. Now, I'll get into that aspect a little later, but I'll tell you how I got involved in CSETI. And that is, um, I had a, a UFO sighting uh, in the uh, Pit Notice Coquitlam area, mm -hmm. and I saw an object going by uh, near the mountain, and it was one of these overcast, cloudy days. But this was uh, probably no more than three or 500 feet off the ground, and I was actually uh, a janitor at a school district uh, then, and as I was taking the garbage out to the dumpster, I looked across, and I saw this uh, sort of white, object move across the, the uh, parallel with the um, 
the mountain range uh, underneath the the, the uh, cloud layer, and I realized, okay, that's not a plane. I don't hear any sound, and I I went through the mental game of what it is and what it isn't, and uh, I realized that you know that the, the ETs were still around. I was still seeing them and or their craft, and it it just sort of reawakened uh, that curiosity and interest again. So I, I decided to do something I never did in my life, and that was to uh, contact someone who was involved in an organization to give them my report. So I, I was flipping through the yellow pages, and I found a couple of, uh, of uh, UFO organizations, and one of them was called UFO... Uh, BC? B, no, uh UFO Research Network. I think that was euphoric or euphoric. And um, anyways, long story short, was I found this number, but it was a um, an automatic answering uh, service, uh, but he was playing uh, tapes of various UFO topics and paranormal type topics. And I listened to these, and I, I found them very interesting. In fact, I was... <laughs> probably wasting more time listening than doing my work. But uh, the, the thing I, was that I always got my job done at the end of the evening. Uh, but eventually I got through the, to this person and I made a contact with him. His name was uh, Lauren Goldfeather. And uh, we met. Now, one of the things about his, uh, his uh, telephone, um, uh, I, I guess you would call it uh, messaging service was these programs that he played. And I heard somebody uh, who was very eloquent say something about UFOs, and he said one or two things that I immediately caught on that only I and similar other people would have caught it, and that was that he said things like uh, that this was uh, an event that was really ushering in a 500 thousand year dispensation of uh, involvement on this planet and i knew exactly what he was talking about and where he got that reference from and uh, one mm-hmm. of the things that i realized was he had to be a baha'i as i was a baha'i mm-hmm. and um so i found out his name was dr stephen greer uh i got that through uh, lauren and uh we started going out together and doing uh, a couple of field trips. I got in uh, communication uh, with Dr. Greer and the UC study organization. And we communicated back and forth for a mm-hmm. while. And that was probably uh, in early 93. So you could say that by 93, uh, the formation of CD study was underway, mm-hmm. uh, even if it was just the two people, Lauren and I. And uh, so we would go out, and the, one of the first times we went out was uh, out into Pitt Meadows. Um, he lives in Vancouver, so I picked him up at the bus terminal, and we went out and spent an evening out there. And immediately we got out there, we had something fly over uh, us, uh, a very bright light. Now, was it uh, possibly a satellite or even the uh, space station? It may have been. Mm-hmm. Um but it seemed very uh, uh, serendipitous for it to have shown up when we were out there. Mm-hmm. And fast, fast walker kind of stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't really fast. Uh, I would say it probably moved uh, slightly faster than a satellite, but mm-hmm. not uh, much faster. Mm-hmm. Very, very bright. And because it was very bright, 
Um, I, I come from uh, a, a family where my father was um, a military uh, in the Air Force. He was a, um, uh, a corporal in the Air Force. And so I'm a military brat. And I have a lot of experiences being around airplanes and stuff and jets. And so I start to, I was able to start recognizing some of these craft, uh, you know, these um, uh, airplanes that would go over. And my brothers and I would build uh, model uh, kits of airplanes when we were younger. So we were pretty much indoctrinated into that thinking. <laughs> and so I, when I see something, I, as I say, I go through the, the game of what it is or what it may not be. I rule out all the conventionalities that, of things that can fly. And then if it doesn't fit any of them, then whatever is left over mm -hmm. using the sort of Conan, Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes method of deduction has to be what it is. <laughs> <laughs> that's so a, that's, that's how I kind of look at things. That's what my sighting was, actually. was uh, I thought it was a satellite. It was in the early evening, sun still up. Uh, I, th I thought it was a satellite, and then it, it like changed direction, and that was my big sighting. Yeah, did, did it move sort of uh, like uh, sharply to one uh, path to another? Or? Yeah, it was going west and it was going west to east. Yeah. West to east. Oh. And we were, it was probably about five o'clock or so, maybe four or five o'clock. And the sun was kind of down. It was still quite bright out because it was summer, but we were on the back of the house. So the sun was blocked. And we were just, there was, there was three of us looking up and we seen it. We thought it was a satellite. We were talking about, we look at the satellite and then and it did some turn. It, yeah. It headed, maybe changed its course, maybe 45 to 50 degrees to the north. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a significant turn. And then disappeared. Uh, well, you know, one of the things that we try and do with Sea City is we try and get people used to the idea of not only going out and looking up in the star up into the sky to see the stars and recognize constellations and planets and that sort of thing uh be aware that there might be an occasional shooting star or meteorite uh flashing through the atmosphere but what we try and do is also look at things that may appear um that are very normal, but, but appear under unusual circumstances. Uh, and, and satellites sort of fit that description because there are some satellites, uh, the Iridium satellites that will go over and at a certain uh, point where you are located and where the sun is uh, and the rotation of the earth mm -hmm. will suddenly flash. Yeah. It's very, very bright. Now the thing is, uh, some people will mistaken those as possible UFOs. And that's not to say that some of them are UFOs mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, because they will also do that. The other thing is though, what you're going to look for uh, with a satellite is a, a, um, a constant movement, say from North to, to South or from East to West or, or some form of trajectory trajectory that is um, at a constant pace. Mm -hmm. A UFO, on the other hand, may appear to be a satellite and all of a sudden stops or all of a sudden makes a turn right or left, mm -hmm. uh, may approach closer, may seem to zoom out further away, may suddenly disappear out of uh, sort of into thin air or thin, uh, into thin space, as it were. <laughs>
And uh, so, you know, you, you start to look at those things and you, you have one of the things is that you want to have uh, satellite charts. So you can look at some of these uh, satellites that do come over, say, the Vancouver area. And there's a lot of them. There's actually an app for that nowadays. I have the have you ever heard of the Sputnik app for iPhone? Uh, no, but I, I do have, uh, th- there's a number of ones that I have on my, um, uh, iPod and, uh, they're essentially, uh, to do with, uh, planet location. Uh, they do, uh, like universe sky safari is one planets, moon phases, um, all, all those kinds of things. And then I have one that's, uh, uh, C-SETI ET contact. And that's one that I'm, I'm t- trying to get people to uh, take a look at. If you've got an, an iPhone or um, an Android phone, you can download that. I think it's something like just under $5. Uh, but what it does is it uh, allows you to um, turn your um your phone yeah, into an instrument, really. Yeah, it's like an electronic instrument where it's uh, like a magnetometer, <clears throat> and it will pick up readings, right? Mm-hmm. So, for instance, it will start to click if there's a high ma- uh, electromagnetic field in the in the area. You can actually wave it in front of people, and what will happen is sometimes you'll get electronic field around that person. Well, what that really indicates is there could be an ET in and around uh, amongst that uh, around that person and if you're in a, a group of people uh you can go around the circle and what you find is uh i see that you've got it there uh yeah yeah <laughs> we've, we've been we've been talking about this app on the show a little bit in the past so yeah, i've, I've and, downloaded and i'm starting to play around with it i'm 46 is that good <laughs> i don't i don't know you see i don't I, i've only got a uh an ipad and so it doesn't Ooh. quite get... oh you're you're setting my thing off here terry yeah it's uh, oh, oh yeah you can definitely hear it squealing there it's going uh, up it's, it's going up to 100 yeah, that's probably because I had it too close to the, the microphone there. Here, let's see if I uh, if I go off my I think it's, magnetism. It must be just because well, I'm holding up to the computer screen and it keeps going yeah, up. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to be picking up uh, uh, Wi-Fi or something. Yeah, oh, yeah you're going to be picking up a magnetic field from some of your equipment there. So ideally, when you're out in the field and you're using this type of equipment, uh, and there's other, uh, yeah, I can hear that. So uh, you want to be in an area that doesn't have any uh, microwave towers and all that sort of thing, because when you are sitting in a circle and you're 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 going around from person to person, and this is what they call a sort of a, a pre-check on on uh, the environment and and the situation in like general, like a baseline, kind of setting a baseline, kind of thing. That's right, because. Uh, sometimes the ETs have already arrived and they're just waiting for you to show up. And they, they know where roughly where you're going to be. Now, the thing is, when you go around the circle and you point this your, your iPhone at, at them, you, you, you're picking up the reading, there may be nothing and right. nothing and nothing. And all of a sudden, the third person you go to, there's a reading. Now, you, you want to kind of figure out, do they have any electronics on them or mm-hmm. uh, that sort of thing? And then you may find you go to the next person, nothing, and then the, the, the next couple, all of a sudden, they get the same kind of reading. So what that could be saying uh, is that the, there's an ET presence. Now, that by itself doesn't is not conclusive. 
because when you start to go into uh, and, and the whole C-SETI thing, I don't know if anyone's actually talked to you about this on, on the on your show. But no, no, we haven't. Uh, we should do the, the rundown yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, well, let me let me give you that uh, uh, fairly quickly here. C-SETI, uh, of course, what, what we're using is um, we're establishing what they call the CE5 which is a close encounters of the fifth kind, which is human-initiated contact. And that human-initiated contact is where humans go out and they uh, use various modalities uh, of communication to try and contact and reach ETs that may be out in space or uh, in the general vicinity. And part of that is using lights, sound, and mental thought. The, the lights could be in, uh, in, uh, in the form of lasers, mm-hmm. uh, laser pointers, uh, high-powered candle uh, uh, floodlights. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a floodlight that's um, uh, 60 million candle power, and it's really quite bright. It's something you could probably fit onto a helicopter and look down below and, and see what's below. Mm-hmm. Uh, I use a laser pointer. Now, I've got one that isn't as temperamental, but essentially when it is working, uh, it has a 10-time extender on it, and it's a big uh, uh, foot, and maybe 15 inches long. It's quite long, and uh, it puts out a beam, but when you put the, the 10 times extender on it, what it mm-hmm. does is it softens the beam, but it allows you to project the beam 10 times further. So if you're getting, say, 6 to uh, to 10 miles that the light can be seen, the laser light can be seen, it will then reach 60 to 100 miles. That means you, you can point it up into space, and if there's a, an extraterrestrial vehicle flying by, it will spot that. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, again, by itself, isn't a guarantee that you've actually are going to attract the attention of ETs. And uh, so we're using beeps and tones that have come from either uh, recordings of crop circles, uh, audio uh, recordings, that is, or from uh, UFOs that have landed. And th- there's a, a number of these that we use. And what we do then is we, uh, we put them into a ghetto blaster or onto our iPhone, uh, iPad, or whatever um, device that we have that can record and play it back. And then we uh, broadcast it through a walkie-talkie. So then that can then be um, spread out. Yeah, that's, the sound. that's one of the sounds, one of the beeps. And the interesting... Yeah, the interesting thing about it, go ahead and play that. Just let, let the audience sort of hear that. So that's the sounds you play in the field? Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, one of the interesting things is this particular recording will get slower and slower, and because it's, it's, it's played at full speed, half speed, quarter, eighth, sixteenth, that sort of thing. And as it gets slower, you'll find out that it sounds like the heartbeat of a of Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. Now, it will go a bit slower than that, and it'll go boom, 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 boom. Cool. It, it, should, it should be, uh, I think it's coming up here shortly. Yeah. 
Do you amplify it at all? Yeah, it's coming across to me very clear. No, I mean, like, if you're in the field. Well, yeah, you're going to be broadcasting that. So, essentially, then, uh, it goes through a walkie-talkie. Now, the thing is, there are different uh, versions of this uh, beeps and tones. And uh, one where there is uh, a pure... Uh, trilling or thrilling, uh, uh, yeah, trilling uh, uh, um, uh, wavelength, mm-hmm. and then uh, others are are slower. So it's it, what we're doing is we're giving back to the ET something that's theirs that they would recognize. Somebody had said to Doctor Greer, "How come you don't play Beethoven or Mozart? You know, some uh, nice piece of music or a little bit of rock, for instance." Well, I'm sure that. You know, some of that might actually be uh, interesting, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe uh, some of the classics would be um, some kind of indication that there's intelligence down here on Earth. But the reality is that it may not be something that they fully understand. And let's let's be um, realistic here. We're broadcasting everything. Uh, under the sun in all various forms uh, in electronic uh, wavelengths, whether that's TV, radio, the internet, our cell phones. So all of that is going out into space, right? Yeah. And if there's intelligent life out there, which I have no doubt, they're picking that up. And if you remember the movie Contact with Jodie Foster, mm-hmm. uh, who played the, uh, the astrophysicist, uh, basically, she'd go out and she'd listen uh, for the, the various signals. And uh, what she got back was a, was a signal. Now, in the beginning of the movie, it shows uh, all these, you can hear all these noises and what have you. And when they get the contact, the signal back, they find out it's the image of the first uh, uh, games, uh, uh, modern day uh-huh. games of the Olympics. Uh-huh. And the uh, the image was of Hitler, and the German uh, uh, was the Germany was the uh, host of the Olympic Games. This was prior to the war, mm-hmm. so uh, it was a bit of a shock for them. Well, the thing is, what it is is they sent back something that we sent out to them that we would recognize. In like manner, we're sending back to them something that they should be able to recognize, which is their own particular uh, noises of beeps and tones that have come from crop circles Mm -hmm. or from their spacecraft. Yeah, and then it also must make it seem like we acknowledge or at least uh, acknowledge their existence or their presence. That's that's exactly it. It's an an acknowledgement. Now, what what that is is an indirect form of communication. And uh, you're going to find that there's various levels of communication that can be established with ETs. But the next modality is the, um, the thought and, and, or med- uh, meditation. And essentially through higher forms of consciousness, which are achievable through meditation, we get the group to quiet down their own thoughts and allow their minds to become uh, still and at peace. What this does is this allows everybody to harmonize, to synchronize, because there is power in numbers. Uh, this is uh, synergy. And some people are very, very good at it individually. Mm-hmm. Others are better at it when they come together with other people. Mm-hmm. So you're sending out a, uh, you're, you're establishing a greater boundary of awareness. And that awareness 
allows you to start to tap into the uh, the depth and consciousness of the universe and to other ETs. And the premise here is that uh, that sentient life is everywhere and that the universe is alive, as is the earth, as is all manner of things, whether that be plants, animals, obviously people, rocks, etc., etc. Everything has a field of energy. It has um, uh, a spirit or an energy to it. And so ETs have basically the same sort of sentience and consciousness as what people have, which therefore allows us to make a uh, uh, contact with them. And it's like for them, because uh, they're receiving all these signals, when they receive a pure thought, a pure intent coming from a group of people, that's like a big spike uh, that would appear if you had a graph. And that's what they're tuning into. Hmm. And so the thing is, like in the movie Contact, when they're looking at the signal and they get this big spike that shows up, uh, and they try and locate that, that's what ETs are doing. So there's a bit of a similarity there between what ETs can do and what humans can do. But uh, ETs are far more advanced than we are. They're, They're probably thousands, tens of thousands, maybe even millions of years ahead of us. Um, so one of the things that they can do is uh, their, their societies are built on what I call uh, higher forms of consciousness where everything interfaces with that, including their technology. So they have conscious-assisted technology or technology-assisted consciousness where the electronics or whatever form of, of um, mechanical, electrical Uh, magnetic uh, forms of energy can interface uh, with the human or or with their own particular consciousness. So they can, uh, by pure thought alone, operate their uh, Their spacecraft. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when we're doing that meditation then, and we're reaching out with consciousness to expand our awareness uh, around us and, and around the earth, then what we're doing is uh, trying to make sure that our consciousness is sort of everywhere. And it is, because there's no uh, locality of consciousness. It's non-linear. And the thing is that when we get to that stage, what we're going to then be doing is remote viewing, which is another part of the meditative uh, uh, stage of, 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 of communication. And that is that when you are meditating, and meditation is really the key to all the psychic abilities. Mm-hmm. And if people were to learn this at a very young age, say at school, along with math and, and, and uh, science and, and reading and, and that sort of thing and art, and learn this as well. We would find by the time we reached adults, we would be using our minds uh, and consciousness to such a high degree that all of a sudden there would be a bloom in, in science that would suddenly leap forward uh, by quantum leaps. And consciousness, which Dr. Greer says, will be the new science of the new age. Mm-hmm. And this is part of it. So when you're in that state of of consciousness, your remote viewing, and that remote viewing is to be able to see at a distance, which we used to call clairvoyance. And in that, uh, I like uh, that. Mind, they should have stuck with that. That sounds 
<laughs> Makes it sound sexy. <laughs> <laughs> In that state of mind, uh, essentially, then um, you're you're looking around. You're actually visually seeing around with your mind's eye mm -hmm. uh, what is out there in the universe what is around the planet what is on uh on the moon on mars on saturn whatever these places the old shaman of various uh, tribal societies and cultures used to do this all the time the very the shaman uh uh witch doctors of, of the aborigines in australia used it the north american native people and their shamans used it uh it is a a well-known method to reach uh beyond the physical boundaries and into the uh the boundaries of the universe and they used to do this all the time mm -hmm. and when they were able to do that they were able to uh also create healing uh, because they were tapping into a certain power. And that power is always through us and in us and around us at all times. And when you tap that, you're tapping in, in, excuse me, <coughs> into information. So when you're remote view, you're looking for ET craft or ET civilization. When you find it at that point, you then do what we call coherent thought sequencing. And that is being able to show them where you are located by showing them, first of all, when you're uh, going out into space, you're visualizing, uh, preferably you're seeing it, but you're visualizing the spot where you're, you're situated amongst the group. Mm -hmm. You're looking at, say, the valley area or the mountain area, mm -hmm. or it could be a desert area, wherever you are located, you can see that. Mm -hmm. And as you, further and further out, you can start to see more of the country and the continent. And you can tell whether it's east or west, whether it's nighttime or daytime, whether the lights are turned on uh, on all the cities. Uh, on the west coast here, you should be at this time of night, start to see all the lights sh show up. Uh, you should be able to see the uh, North American uh, west coast. You can see Vancouver Island, which is uh, sort of between uh, the, the 40 minutes parallel, which is between center uh, of the North American continent on the west coast. Mm. As you move further and further out, you see the earth. And as you move further and further out, you see... Uh, the moon and the earth, and you may be able to see the sun. And then if you move further and further out, you may come across Mars and the asteroids and Jupiter and mm -hmm. Saturn and all the other outer planets. And the further you move your consciousness out, you should be able to pop out through the solar system and out through the nebulous clouds that are around this area and out of the arm of the spiral uh, of the Milky Way. Now, what you at that point, I can see this as, as I'm talking to you. Yeah. As you, as you uh, and the reason why I can see it because uh, my background when I was going to university was astronomy, and I used to see a lot of these books, and I used to uh, look at them, and then I used to do this remote uh, or this coherent thought sequencing. So I had a visual image in my mind of where we were, and as you move further and further out, you're into deep space. You can keep on going at, at, at that rate at infinitum. Mm -hmm. It never ends. But at some point, you want to stop and uh, be at peace with the universe, to see the universe, to soak it all in, and then do the, uh, then do the remote viewing and then do the coherent thought sequencing, which is the invitation to the ETs that you may have established uh, in a contact with. Now, you may not see them. 
but it's possible to still communicate with them. So what you're going to do then is show them in reverse order where you came mm-hmm, from mm-hmm. by going back into the spiral arm, back into the solar system, past the planets, towards the Earth, towards the continent you're at, and to the location on that continent. That's coherent thought sequencing. It's not meditation. It's, it's a separate thing. Yeah, yeah. And that was something that was developed by Dr. Stephen Greer um, back in, uh, I think it was 1976 or 78, and when he was a teenager. He actually had an experience where he went on board a craft, and um, essentially he met with ET beings. They took him off planet, and together they developed this protocol of the CE5 initiative, which is how do you communicate with ETs? Mm -hmm. And essentially then from that point on, uh, they, he and and the ETs developed this. They they were actually curious because uh, about him, because he was into meditation in a very strong way. At a young age, yeah. at At a very young age too. And very adept at it. And he actually uh, went to India and learned uh, transcendental meditation. No, in fact, he learned transcendental meditation uh, from one of the Maharishi Yoga uh, schools in the States. That's where he learned it. And he became a teacher of that while he was also learning to be a doctor of medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the thing that was that he, um, the ETs were curious to know what it felt like for a human to meditate and to that level or that to that state or uh, uh, degree that Stephen was able to achieve. Now, Stephen is rather a, a unique individual because um, he's been doing this so long that it becomes secondary to him. Yeah. So uh, without too digressing too far off the topic here, uh, we got the protocols and the meditation uh, and that type of training from Stephen. And that's what uh, CSETI is all about, is training people to go out and do this on their own without Stephen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have a question about the coherent thought sequencing. Um, yeah. Assuming that a lot of times when you're doing this, you're in a group of people. So so you, you, you project here, you know, you're, you meditate together, <clears throat> you start uh, remote viewing, you're sort of seeing whatever in the universe, somebody comes across ET out there. Um, I can imagine in my head, everybody sort of bringing, following the bread comes, comes back in kind of like a, a mixed up way. Like does somebody guide you back as a group verbally or do you, or do you all just sort of make your way back uh, through meditation on your own? Well, that's, that's a good point. Uh, It's a little bit of both. Um, Normally, when I take a group out, I like to, at least for the first meditation session, to uh, have everybody just listen to a recorded uh, either a DVD or or tape uh, or something that's being recorded off of your iPhone uh, that is the the meditation by Dr. Greer. Yeah, I've listened to that one, and that's that's on the app, too. Yeah, and he's got a number of them. And uh, so basically by listening to, uh, when I got involved, I I listened to one of the original ones that he used to do uh, where he had Sherry Adamack. And Mm -hmm. uh, she was his assistant before Linda Willits uh, joined in with C-City. Unfortunately, Sherry passed away. I I did have the opportunity to meet her. Uh, She passed away, I think, in 97. Mm -hmm. 
and unfortunately of breast cancer. But um, the thing is that he and, and Dr. Gear would, would do the, uh, the meditation, and he, he essentially led the meditation. And if you listen to his voice, he would therefore guide you through the steps so that that would allow people to understand what was taking place. And then when you were out in deep space and just at ease and at peace with the universe, and then you, you begin your remote viewing by looking around, he would then say, okay, when you have politely asked the ETs to come on board their craft mm-hmm. uh, or to come and visit them on their planet, you want to show them where you are. But then that's when the coherent thought sequencing would start, and he would guide you back through that. Right. So once you understood the process, then it was easy for anybody to do this on their own. So even though you're in a group, uh, he said, okay, we'll do a, now we'll do a silent meditation. So you may be doing this meditation two, three, four, five times, six times in an evening. Mm-hmm. That's, a lot of, that's a lot of time spent meditating. Mm-hmm. But you could be meditating anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes to half an hour mm-hmm. uh, because you really are trying to reach out and make contact. And this is rather unique uh, uh, on the planet because there's very few people doing this. And so when ETs do get a strong signal of mental thought coming at them from some humans, they're going to investigate it. So we've got some uh, interesting cases, uh, not personally, but historically in the UFO community where people like Sicto La Paz, uh, who is a, a Brazilian, started doing this actually before even Dr. Greer was doing it, or at least roughly around the same time. And he would have UFOs suddenly show up after he had meditated. Mm-hmm. And he realized it was his meditation that was inviting them. And so he, he had friends and, and family, and he would take them out into an, a valley or an area. And he says, you want to see me bring down ETs? I'll do this. But first of all, we have to all meditate. So they'll all meditate, and they would do this. And actually, they would practice before they would go out, maybe at his home or, or a, a friend's home. And then they'd go out and do this. And every time they went out and did it, boom, uh, an object would show up, and it, sometimes it looked like it was it was going to land, uh, or it would be off in the distance. And what it was doing was it was gauging the receptivity of the group. Uh-huh. Now. Dr. Greer has also had that experience and has gone much further with it than anybody else has done. And so what he's able to do now is to uh, literally formalize this into uh, uh, a process where uh, it's called the CE5 initiative, which is human initiated contact, where we are peacefully trying to communicate in a mutually beneficial and sustainable effort. Uh, or relationship. And uh, when we are doing this, we're really saying, hey, we want to be friends. We wish to have an association with you. We want a relationship that's mutually beneficial. And recently, uh, since the 90s, Graham, uh, you know, when we did this, it was more or less, let's go out and make contact. Now it's it's evolved to the point where we not only try and go out and, and have contact, but we're asking the extraterrestrial intelligence to 
assist us in the healing of this planet. Because mm. if you look around us, there's so much chaos and, and uh, uh, problems in the world that uh, we really do need help. It seems as if things have gotten beyond the ability of the average human or even the average government to control. And so we're saying to the ETs, help us uh, bring about an era of peace on this planet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're not asking you to do it for us where we sit back and reap the benefits of it, but we're saying, look, help us, assist us to do that. Uh, and by doing so, um, open up the, the, the hearts and minds of people and make them more receptive to things that are more positive and beneficial hmm. as to being more separate, secluded, more uh, personal, more greedy, more uh, material, this sort of thing. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about that we've entered into a new age since, nine, uh, since uh, 2012. The reality is we've been in this new age for the last 170 years. Hmm. And we, we just haven't yet woken up and recognized the source of where that's coming from. Uh, as a Baha'i, I know exactly where that's coming from. That, that uh, spiritual awakening has been already uh, been going on uh, amongst the, the Baha'i world community. Now, I'm not going to get into uh, talking about my religion per se and, and everything else uh, about it because that's not what this forum is about. Mm -hmm. But what I'm getting at is there are people who have been doing this for 170 years who are already awake and attuned to the day and age in which we're living in. So when people say 2012 because of Mayan calendar, I, I'm going to tell you something. That's just to, if you ask the Mayan, they'll just say it's another day in, in the year or another year in, in the many years. Um, it's not a specifically uh, special event. Now, there are still people saying, well, 2020 is going to be a significant year, and 2024 uh, is going to be significant, and 2040 is significant. Uh, but the reality is all the years that we live in are significant. Yeah. And it, it depends on what we want to do with them. you a bit in, in, a, in, a, in a bit about uh, how it's changed since the 90s till now but but before we do that I want to go back to something you said about that guy in Brazil and how the ETs are discerning the um, receptivity of the group so are yep. you are you saying then that that you guys have experienced this too where it kind of comes down to the weakest link or not not I don't want to say weakest but let's say you have non believers or skeptics or people that are out there with with uh not so pure
your intentions. Will that affect the, the contact experience of the group? Oh, certainly. Uh, the thing is, it, it sometimes does boil down to the weakest link. And, and quite frankly, uh, this is why I prefer to meet with people before taking them out into the field, because right. uh, to a degree of their preparedness for the unusual, uh, will gauge the level of uh, response from the ETs. Wow. So uh, if an individual's never had this sort of experience before, knows nothing about meditation, uh, I would suggest to them, take some time and learn how to meditate. Do this on your own, if preferably, but we will also show you how to do that. Uh, read up on some of the things that are out there, uh, some of the books on UFOs and the various theories and all the rest of it. Uh, listen to some good document, uh, documentary films or uh, video or DVDs. Uh, there's a lot of stuff out there. Now, the problem is there's a lot of garbage out there. Mm -hmm. And so an individual who's trying to get himself prepared to make contact with ETs, uh, it's, it's going to be coming on a preferably non-fear-based uh, level, no uh, sense of uh, negativity towards which ETs are good or, or which ones are hostile, mm -hmm. uh, that sort of thing. We're, we're asking that any and all ETs show up. We don't care if they're hostile. In fact, Dr. Greer will say to you that if there are ETs out there who are malevolent, those will be the first ones I want to meet. And the reason for it is like any um, country who has a diplomacy with another country uh, is trying to establish a relationship that's friendly, beneficial, and mutual, and ideally peaceful. And so uh, it is a lot easier, say, for the United States to have a relationship with Canada and Britain because we share a lot of commonality with them, with language and uh, ways and measures and the forms of democracy that we have and all those sort of things. And because Canada, it's just north of the border from the States, there's that, you know, relationship that uh, we have. So we, you know, we have to establish a peaceful relationship. Otherwise, we'd always be at war with America. Well, if you're a, a country like Iran, Korea, Russia, China, those kinds of relationships are going to take more time in order to achieve the same kind of relationship that you have with some of the friendlier nations like Canada and Britain or France or Spain or wherever. So uh, they require more work. Well, in the same fashion, uh, in the, uh, the individuals have to kind of prepare themselves for this, which is achieving a certain state of mind. So when you go out in the field, yeah, the, the response that we get from ETs is gauged upon the weakest person there. Uh, it's also gauged upon the strongest individual. Uh, for instance, a lot of people want to be able to go to some of Dr. Greer's uh, ambassador to the universe uh, retreat uh, sessions, and they last about a week. The reason being because Dr. Greer is like a magnet for these types of uh, events that unfold. ETs and UFOs do show up, and they interact. Well, uh, there's a lot of people who go out there who are looky loose. I want to see if I, you know, I want to see something because I've never seen it before. I want to mm -hmm. see an ET, you know. Uh, I had a friend, uh, you maybe remember the, him, uh, this was Brian Greer. Uh, no relationship to Steve. Yeah, Greer. yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, and, and his Brian wife, Pitt, Roxanne, you said, right? Roxanne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, Why? he's passed away. But the thing is that uh, we used to have these long conversations uh, where we would he would phone and uh, two or three times in a week, we'd, have, we'd be gabbing away like we're talking right now. And uh, he's of, uh, he wasn't what I would call uh, of any religious affiliation. I think he was a spiritual man. But his his whole premise was, I want to go over and kick the tires on this thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when it lands, I want to know it's there, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think in all, deep down in all our hearts, I think we all feel the same way. But I had to tell Brian, I said, look, it may never, ever come to that, at least not at this point. I said, a lot of other things have got to unfold before that ever happens. And... Uh, you know, we'll get a lot of high strangeness going on, uh, which will be a prelude to other things down the road, whereas we become more open and receptive as a group or any group that's doing this, uh, the ETs ramp it up that much higher. So the level increases, increases, increases. And the thing is, they're teaching us something. Uh, again, I'll refer to another movie, uh, Steven Spielberg's Close Encounters of the Third Kind where they go to Devil's Tower and the military uh, and the scientists have set up a camp or base there and the ETs show up and they play the... The, 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 Tone, uh, the tones. The tones, right? It's so much similar to what we're doing, but there's a, there's a science to that. And, uh, and basically, the guy, one of the scientists says, uh, this is the first day of school. They're teaching us how to communicate, mm -hmm. learn the alphabet, mm -hmm. right? Well, that's really what's going on here. Uh, but it's going on on multiple levels. So again, talking about another movie, Contact, you remember when they finally get the information, uh, it was uh, the uh, industrialist, who, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he said the information... No, no, it, it wasn't McConaughey. It was the English uh, actor Hurt. Uh, I can't remember his character's name. But anyways, he says, uh, the message that we're getting is on multiple levels. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what we've got to understand. It isn't saying, hi, how are you? Shake your hand, pat on the back. Yes, welcome to the planet Earth. You know, let's get down to business. No, it, it's operating a lot, many, a lot, a lot of different levels. It's happening on a psychological level. It's happening on an emotional level. It's happening on an intellectual level. It does happen on a physical level. It's everything that you can possibly imagine. There's, there is some forms of mathematics and physics involved in this. And part of that is trying to crack that particular nut because that's what the scientists are after. They want that that purity of the science and the math that goes behind this. Uh, whether or not it's there or whether or not they'll ever get it, I don't know. But that's the level. So when Stephen Greer had his uh, contact and all-planet experience when he was a teenager, he uh, essentially, I asked him, and I, I kind of knew the answer before I even asked him. And I said, so when you had the communication, were they communicating on emotional, intellectual, spiritual. Uh, he said, yeah, all of that. Mm -hmm. All of that. And, and I knew that I was right, I was right on. I, I knew that in my, uh, I sometimes have an intuitive knowledge. I don't know where it comes from. 
but uh, and there are things that I do read and that I have to learn, but some of it is intuitive. And uh, on this particular aspect, I knew that that's the answer he was going to give me. Mm -hmm. The multiple level thing. The so, multiple level, yeah. Can you talk about any of your CSETI Vancouver experiences? I remember uh, I wasn't with you guys for very long, and it was back in like 94, so it was probably less than a year or something like that. But I remember missing a few experiences and you guys talking oh, about some of them. But. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, um, by 95, everything was starting to gel. Now, this is part of the thing about group dynamics is when you get a group together, you're trying to sort of find out who's really serious and who isn't. Mm -hmm. As I say, you get a, a lot of people who are looky loose. You get people coming in who are very much fear based. They fear uh, certain types of ET beings, what, what are known as the greys or the reptilian or the reptoids. Uh, all of this is nonsense. This, this information that's out there in the public is junk disinformation. And it's designed to create negativity and xenophobic uh, fear towards certain ETs. And so the thing is that when you are trying to contact, you're trying to contact every or any ET, not just a, a particular group of people or group or, or racial group. They're going to be uh, ones that are probably um, the small, short, gray with the large eyes, uh, or they're going to be uh, whitish color. Uh, they're going to be some very tall ETs. I've seen tall ETs out of the corner of my eye, and they're tall. They're about six foot six to at least seven feet high, minimum. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, there are short ones. There are reptilian ones. There, there are things that are so strange uh, that you wonder. What is the uh, the process of creation behind them? How yeah. do they function? How do they even survive or live or do what they do? Mm -hmm. um, and so, and that's to be expected. That's what we, uh, I think, in real science would look at as being truly alien or extraterrestrial. They'd, I mean, there is a what I call a universal uh, law, standard, or constant, uh, which says that many intelligent forms have a humanoid appearance that is similar to humans. Yeah, like a bipedal type bipedal, evolution. Two arms, two legs, a head, two eyes, a mouth, possibly a nose, possibly some ears, uh, fingers on, on, on a hand, uh, three fingers, four, five, six, uh, whatever, Feet, maybe three toes, four toes, five toes. Some of them look like us. In fact, they, the ones that are uh, humanoid really scare the bejesus out of the military because they have no way of telling them, telling if they're here or which ones are who hmm. because they may have already infiltrated a lot of the top positions in uh, government, in the military, and in the intelligence. My hope is, I hope they have, uh, because that will uh, make sure that the ones that don't have, the people on this planet who don't have our best interest are kept in check. Yeah, but it, but you you could also say the opposite, where we're going to hell in a handbasket here, and if it's and if it, they're in some some positions of control, they're not doing a very good job. Yeah, but then here's the thing: this is again, Doctor Greer talks about this, the Manichaean uh, uh, point of view, which is uh, us versus them. You know, uh -huh. this whole concept of we're good, they're bad. You know, yeah. and so uh, the what about we're bad, they're good. Well, that, that, that too. I mean, it's the same thing with the uh, Nazi Germany. 
pointing at communists and at uh, Jewish people, that they were bad, that they needed to be eliminated or at least rounded up and segregated away from the rest of society. Uh, purity of race sort of thing. I mean, this can get, you know, we don't want to be taking these kinds of negative attitudes that we have have uh, developed over the last six to 10,000 years and start dumping that onto ET and putting them into the same basket as what we're we are at. We have to grow up on this planet. And this is part of that that uh, change that is occurring. People are beginning to awaken. So the thing is that when we're out there and we're doing this, uh, this is part of the attitude. Now, an actual event, in 95, as I said, we were starting to gel as a group. And I realized as the coordinator of the Sea City Vancouver group, that we were uh, really beginning to harmonize, mm -hmm. that uh, <clears throat> we were going out, we were going through the routine, we were learning as we were going, and so uh, it was a hit and miss. Uh, but all of a sudden, we got a call um, from Dr. Joseph Burks, and I don't know if you remember him at all. Uh, he came up from uh, Los Angeles, and he was one of uh, Dr. Greer's senior uh, uh, team members. Uh, a friend and I, well, actually, I went down to Seattle. And I met up with a lady who was also from Vancouver. And we together we talked to Dr. Burks. And uh, he suggested if we could put together something in the way of uh, a presentation, uh, like a talk, uh, maybe a radio interview, uh, and maybe even put together uh, uh, an afternoon session or an evening session, uh, he would teach us how to do the CSETI protocols, the, the whole nine yards. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that was, I think, in, in 90, that was about 94, 95, 95. And, uh, but come the fall of 95, in October, we had this call from uh, the Discovery Channel. They wanted to do a piece on us, and what they had been doing was running around the country and into the states interviewing people. And they had interviewed Dr. Joseph Burks, and he said, well, look, uh, I don't have time because of my practice uh, to show you how this is done, but if you contact Terry Tabando up in Vancouver, mm -hmm. who's, who has a C-City group, he'll show you. So Dr. Briggs gets on the phone and says, by the way, Terry, <laughs> you got this group of people showing up and they want to interview you. <laughs> nice. so, yeah, so I scramble. And, but the thing that was interesting was as, as, I, uh, as the day approached when they were going to be in town, uh, some of us started to pick up some kind of intuitive information that the ETs were going to show up as well. And we couldn't quite put our finger on it, but we knew something was going to happen. And we met up at Cypress Mountain uh, with uh, the Discovery uh, TV crew. Now, uh, prior to that, we were meeting at a restaurant just to make sure everybody was there that was going to be there. And then mm -hmm. we all went up to Cypress Mountain. And we met up with the, um, the, the TV crew. There was uh, one fellow on camera. Uh, another one uh, into doing the interview, and I think there was a, I think there was a third uh, doing something with the mic. I think that was what he was doing. And anyways, as I'm being interviewed, and it's still twilight, it's not dark yet. Uh, we're up in that large uh, 
parking lot where the ski chalet is. Yeah, yeah. And um, as I'm talking, I'm looking southward. There's a ridge uh, just uh, in the distance, but not about a half a mile away, less than that, actually. And there's a, a cross-country chalet there. And uh, the actual uh, ski uh, uh, hills are off on the left, which is uh, from where I was standing, uh, Cypress Mountain, just to give you an idea of where everything is located. Well, as I'm talking to him, I see this white object pop up over the ridge and come down roughly into where the uh, ski chalet is uh, uh, across the, uh, from the parking lot and across the, the valley area. And we're watching this. And as I'm talking to him, I could hear two young ladies that are showing up who weren't a part of our group. And as it turned out later, we found out that one of them was an abductee and the other one was uh, uh, somebody who was helping her to overcome her. Wow. Right. It's a bit of a coincidence. Yeah. And they said, look, 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 do you see that over there? And I was looking at this. The TV crew don't pick up on this, right? They're still busy talking to me. And as I'm talking to them, I'm also thinking, now, do I tell them to point their cameras at this? Or do I go for credibility? I also had an, uh, an intuitive knowledge that ETs have a sense of humor. And I thought, Okay, if I tell them to turn around, they're gonna probably disappear anyways, right? Yeah. yeah. So I said, I, I said, I thought to myself, I'm going for credibility. The moment I thought that, boom, the, the object went back over the other side of the ridge and disappeared. And I thought, darn, that was the wrong decision. Uh, maybe <laughs> not. I mean, who knows? Maybe not. But the thing was, they got they they were recognized. People in the group recognized them, but the TV crew didn't didn't know about it. We kept it to ourselves. Nobody in the group told them. We didn't say, did you see that UFO? Because they probably said, yeah, right. Yeah, you know? exactly. But the thing is, we went through our demonstration of setting up the equipment, doing the meditation, all, all of that stuff, the light signaling. But as we're doing it, people were getting a high sense of presence other than themselves. They were seeing flashes of light uh, around in the area. And they felt very strongly that the ET presence was still there. Well, after the uh, a, a couple of hours almost of doing that, we, we packed up the equipment. We, we thanked the TV crew. And we asked them how much of it they were going to use. And uh, they said, well, you know, we, we won't know until we look at it, and then we have to edit it down. So what was probably... Uh, uh, nearly two hours got reduced down to maybe about less than 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, but as we were leaving the parking lot and we were going down Upper Levels Highway into, uh, I guess it's West Van, we were going to meet up in, uh, in uh, the park, uh, I think it's a park mall, or the uh, there's a White spot there. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. The, the mall and uh, by the bridge there, by the Lionsgate Bridge there. Yeah, you have a visitor behind you. <laughs> yeah, what, what, West, uh, what, what mall was that again? I've never uh, been. Anyways, I've yeah, never, I know which one you're talking about. But anyways, uh, there's a shopping mall there. Uh, and um, so we met up there, and as we're, but as we're going down up a little highway, I'm looking out of the, uh, the front seat window of the car I'm in, and uh, there's one car behind us, 
So there's a group of three behind and a group of three in the one that I'm with. And I'm looking out and I'm looking back towards where Cyprus is and I see two lights, two round white orbs. And they seem to be basically synchronized with each other. All of a sudden they're moving across the highway. And as I'm looking up, I said to Lloyd, (coughs) Lloyd, uh, there's a UFO, pull over. And he doesn't, he doesn't see it. Well, the lady behind me, by the name of Helen, says, yeah, yeah, I, I, I think I see it too. And, I, and I'm watching this, and it's moved across the, the highway, and all of a sudden, a third white light appears. Now I realize that this is the classical triangular spacecraft that everybody's talked about. And I'm watching this, and I, and I can't see any structure to it, just the lights. And then all of a sudden, a red light appears, almost in the center, but slightly offsetted towards just the back. Like, yeah, just like they say, yeah, yeah. And it's very much like what's on my business card, Yeah, the, the, that logo there. That's where it came from. Uh, so uh, basically, it's, moving, uh, it's, it's, it's uh, moving in tandem with our vehicles. And it moves across the road. And I said, Lloyd, Lloyd, pull over. I see a UFO. And he's still driving, and I'm winding down the window, and he says to me, well, if you're hot, wind up the window, I'll turn on the air conditioning. And I looked at him, and I thought, he doesn't get it. He doesn't hear what I said. I said, Lloyd, pull the bloody car over. There is a UFO right in front of us up in the sky. And he's, he's cranking his head, trying to look out the window as he's driving, and he finally pulls over you know, on this, uh, this uh, triangular craft which now has this uh, red light on, and I start to see a bit of structure underneath it. Uh, but it's very bright, and it's and you, the outline is not really distinguishable from the bright light, so it's very hard to see. And now it's moving in the reverse direction from which we were watching it, heading out over towards uh, Vancouver Island. And so I said to Lloyd, follow that UFO. <laughs> <laughs> so we're driving down the road, you know, and I said, take the next right, and we take the next right. And uh, still trying to keep an eye on this UFO, right? And um, and then I said, okay, take another right. And we take another right because now it's it's moving right, uh, not would be uh, towards Nanaimo, but I guess what would look like it would be towards uh, Courtney and Campbell River. I think yeah. that's the direction it was traveling. And I, now I figured out why it was doing that. Uh, but anyways, we got to a cul-de-sac. We couldn't go anywhere. Ah. And all we could see now was two, two white lights and a little red light uh, in the middle of it moving off in the distance, right? <laughs> and uh, so uh, we turn around, we go back down the road, we go to the, uh, the restaurant, and I, uh, we, these two young ladies also came with us, so we had a chance to talk to them as, as well. But... Um, I said to each one of them, I wanted to get their first impression, and I want each one of them to come outside with me, and I want to hear what you thought you saw. Separately. Yeah. Separately. I didn't want anybody uh, sharing stories, uh, though they may have done that where they were in the inside, so I don't know. But everybody saw the same thing. A triangular-shaped object had two lights first, then it had a third white light and then a red light and then it moved off away uh, in the opposite direction the only person that had a slightly different version of what she saw was uh was uh roxanne and she said she saw a boomerang shape and i thought close enough <laughs> yeah yeah it's pretty <laughs> you know, yeah. close enough uh 
And then I, I, I talked to Lloyd, and, and for some reason I picked him last, and I said, uh, so tell me what you saw. And he said, I saw this uh, after you pointed it out, but I didn't see anything at first. And I said, well, why did you ask me to roll down the window, uh, roll up the window and let you turn on the air conditioner? And he said to me, I never said that. Wow. I looked, I looked at him and I thought, okay, he's got a sense of humor. I knew he, I thought he was going to be pulling my leg. And he said, I said, yes, you did. He said, no, I didn't. And I looked at him and I looked at him and I said, yes, you did. No, I didn't. I was thinking it. Ah. Uh, ah. Uh. Uh, he's the only one I've ever had a telepathic communication that was so concise, so uh, accurate. And yet he said nothing. He says, I was thinking about that. Well, that freaked him out. And later on, we, when he drove me home, we sat in the, in the driveway, and, and for a good hour or more, we talked. Uh, and he was telling me his whole life story, and I, for reasons why I didn't understand at, at, at the time. And, he, and when I asked him, maybe three or five months later, I said, "You remember that that time when we saw that UFO?" He said, "Yeah, yeah." And that when we parked, he says, "Well, I figured if you read my mind, you probably knew everything already." So I thought I'd better come clean. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I said to him, no, Lloyd, I'm not a mind reader. And I said, I think that was a one of, you know, I, I don't know if that would ever happen again, but I, I, I know the reality exists for it. Um, but the, the thing is, what happened there was um, I so much wanted for him to see this, that there was a connection. And I believe part of that connection was due to the ETs, that uh, possibly, uh, and I speculate at this, that they were uh, maybe putting out some kind of magnetic field or some uh, high um, resonance of awareness around us. And that's why we were able to communicate uh, through mental telepathy. Um, even to the point that collectively there was a form of telepathy going on where people were reacting and seeing the, the same thing at the same time, mm -hmm. even though we're in two different cars. And uh, so <clears throat> I think this is some of the, the high strangeness that goes on. Now, that's one event, and I wish you had been there because I think it would have really been something. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm trying to remember if I was uh, if that's one of the ones that I missed because I definitely remember meeting you guys and talking about some pretty intense sightings that I had missed. So maybe, uh, maybe that's the one. Yeah. yeah, it might have been after that. I mean, I think this was in, it was October 14th, I think it was um, uh, 95. Mm -hmm. And I know that in, from 93 to 95, we were really trying to get our, our legs, as it yeah, were. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> we were trying to sort of get up and not just walk, but run, uh, because we wanted to embrace this whole uh, C75, uh, C5 initiative. Yeah. And uh, so th th that was one of the things that we were doing. Now, uh, there were other events that happened. Um, and what I found out is that if the media is involved, sometimes those could be some of the best um, outings we've had. Other times when the weather is miserable and it's raining and it's uh, damp or cool or, or a little bit uh, on the chilly side, we still have had ET interactions. When we've gone out to one of the sites in, close to where I live, um, 
we there was I think three or four of us that were there, and we played uh, the beeps and tones on a uh, ghetto blaster cassette. And as it was playing, uh, this was for our first meditation. It was very cool. It was again, it was roughly around uh, February twelfth or fourteenth in that time frame, and winter it was still sort of losing its grip. But the insects were not out at that time. The weather had dropped. We were bundled up except for our faces and our hands. Mm-hmm. We were sitting there, and we're listening to this uh, uh, recording of Dr. Greer's, uh, uh, actually, it was his meditation. And as we're listening with our eyes closed, all of a sudden, he's talking, he's gone, blah, 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 and I thought, okay, so the batteries are dying, right? No, the batteries were perfectly fine. <laughs> it was the ETs that were playing with the ghetto blaster. Huh. And, and as we sat there and we meditated, everybody started getting the sensation that little insects were landing on us. And they were land wherever our, skins, uh, our, our skin was bare, whether it was on our hands or on our face, they were, there was these little light touches. And we thought there were mosquitoes or something landing us, but there wasn't anything, and nobody was getting any bites. And when we finished the meditation, uh, I said to anybody, so, and we do this all the time, by the way, I forgot to include this, that when we do a meditation, after we do it, we, uh, we then discuss subjectively any acquired information, mm-hmm. because some people will have insights, and this is a time to share those insights. So, uh, I asked that question, and everybody said, I felt like I was being touched. It felt like insects were all over my body. And <clears throat> we realized there were no insects. It was too cold. And even on a hot day, uh, and when the weather cools down, if there's a lot of insect activity, they'll disappear at a certain point in the night, and they're gone. Well, what we realized was these were ETs that were touching us. Hmm. They were letting us know they were there. Now, again, it's a learning curve because if you're not used to something, you have to start to pay attention to what is happening in your environment and what is happening around you and with you and in you, a feeling, a sensation, uh, a smell, a fragrance, um, a compression of sound, all of these high strangeness things will start to occur, at least some of them will. Well, as I was asking this and trying to also explain what I was feeling, I could hear a uh, beep, 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 beep. And I said to the other uh, people, do you hear that? They said, hear what? I said, do you hear the beeping noise? I said, it was just over here. And as I'm talking, it's moving across the group, over right through the group. I said, it's right there. And they turned around and looked, and I said, we see nothing. I said, what, what, are you, what are you listening to? I said, I'm hearing a, a beep, beep, or a click, click. What would the call out? But it was actually more of a click, and it was sort of, um, it's been referred to as a metallic cricket. Okay? So if you ever had one of those little uh, clicky um, uh, toys that has a, it's a piece of metal, and you, 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 you kind of push on it, and it goes click, 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 click. Mm-hmm. It made that kind of a noise. Like to, a bottle top? Huh? I know, like, you know, when you, you know those, like, uh, Lipton iced teas and stuff, you can kind of bend the lid of it yeah, a certain yeah. way, and it does that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Uh, that, kind of, that kind of noise. But unfortunately, only I could hear it. Now, 
what that said, and I thought I was losing my mind at that point because I thought if I could hear it and everybody else could hear it, but they're not hearing it, uh, what's happening, <laughs> right? Again, you see, I'm learning this stuff too, right? Uh, I, I, I'm coming in there as a baby, basically learning what's going on. And the parent is teaching me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's really what ETs are like, in, in, in a sense, to humans. Uh, yeah, there are some very intelligent humans, but a lot of us are st- still in the adolescent or childlike uh, years that are, we are slowly learning that there's more to this physical realm of existence uh, than the physicality, that there is actual all kinds of other realms of of. Uh, intellectual uh conscious and psychic levels yeah and so what happens is these ets were establishing a communication in a physical form though you could not see them though we may be able to feel them or even hear them uh they were letting us know they were there <clears throat> so that was that was a very significant um uh event for us and, and a learning curve and uh, consequently, one of the people that was there was uh, Deborah Warren. Deborah Warren went off, and uh, she's a school teacher, and she moved into the Okanagan in Kelowna, and she started up her own Sea City group out there called the Okanagan Sea uh, City, or oh. OC City. Mm-hmm. And so uh, she started up her group, and she's had various uh, levels of success as well. So. Again, it's got nothing to do with the individual per se, but rather the individuals that participate in it. Hmm. As I said, the more people of like-mindedness who do this, the greater the the success rate of of interaction and engagement by ETs. Hmm. So do you put uh, a lot of those experiences in your book that's... They might be coming Uh, out? Some of them will be in the book, yeah. Uh, You know, like I have... um, I, ha- I haven't yet got a website, and I'm, eventually I'm going to uh, get one up there. Uh, if you guys are good at doing websites, I'd really like a hand. <laughs> but, uh, we do have one of sorts, but it's uh, my uh, partner has one up that she's put up herself. And it's it's a little bit on the crude side. It's, it's still evolving, uh, yeah. but it's a place where people can go and, and find out a little bit about C-City. When I get mine going, it, it will dovetail right off of Dr. Greer's because I'm calling it ccityvancouver.org. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, and, okay, go ahead. And so uh, the, the it will be up there. But if you go to ccity.org, which is Dr. Greer's, and look under membership, uh, papers and, and uh, reports, you'll find Vancouver in there. And I've got a number of years of reports that I've, I've been sending in there. Now, I haven't sent any since uh, uh, the late 90s. Um, basically, uh, I think 97 or 98 is probably the last ones I sent to him mm-hmm. because uh, it, the, when Sherry passed away, she used to put a lot of that stuff up on the internet. And uh, so the thing is, because nobody else has taken up the reins to follow in her footsteps to do that, uh, consequently, whatever goes up there now is more of the reports that come from the senior team, which is Dr. Greer's team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, But the thing is that um, 
there are reports from Vancouver. Now they will, some of them will eventually be in the book. Some of them, uh, I, I, I'm hoping all of them will be on my website when I get it up and going. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing is that, um, uh, there's all kinds of different things that have happened, uh, with, uh, Sioux City, Vancouver in the early years. Uh, and as I say, we've been around since 93 operating and, uh, Dr. Greer's Sioux City group was only operating for maybe since 1990. So we're really, uh, almost right there with them at mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there was one other group that was uh, in Montreal, but I don't know if it still exists. It's pretty much, I think, uh, there's, <clears throat> there's one that started up recently, but it's not the same group. And uh, so I think they pretty much packed it in. But, but ours has been consistently operating yeah, yeah. Since, since that first time. Yeah. And, uh, and then, as I say, on occasions, uh, I've had the chance to go down and meet up with Dr. Greer in Creston, Colorado, and uh, formally make that connection with him. Yeah. So what, cause what I remember from back then, too, is, is you guys were talking about the disclosure movement. Like, that was, <clears throat> that was underway. And that's one of the things that uh, kind of impressed me when I when I started getting back into UFOs in uh, mid two thousands or whatever, or later than that even, uh, is that all that stuff that that you guys talked about, you did right. They followed through with the disclosure movement, and and you know who knows how it's going to be seen in the future and what kind of uh, effect it had on on ufology and our and our culture. It was definitely a plan that was put in place and, and happened. So, but I do want to ask you, Terry, because um, I end up kind of defending Cicetti and Greer amongst uh, some of our, our, you know, in our conversations or even Cicetti in the, in the greater UFO culture seems to get a bad rap. Like, and and you must be thinking about this a little bit coming out with a book, maybe putting it out there. Like, like, why do you think C SETI has a rough road, even amongst uh, other ufologists? Well, you know, that's, I think one of the things that happens, <coughs> excuse me, uh, one of the things that happens with almost any, uh, anybody that's out there in the UFO community uh, even, even organizations. I mean, I belonged to one of the oldest organizations in the world at the time uh, when I first got involved um, as a kid, uh, a young teenager back in, I think, 93. Uh, I belonged to APRO, and APRO is the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization. And it was actually one of the largest ones, and it was made up of all the intellectuals, as they would say. Uh, not that that made me an intellectual, but <clears throat> it, it attracted that type of uh, person. Uh, there was another one called uh, NICAP, which is the uh, mm-hmm. uh, National Investigation Committee on Aerial Phenomena. Yeah. And uh, that was headed by uh, Donald Kehoe. The other one that was uh, headed by Carl and um, uh, Carl, Carl Lorenza. And I can't remember uh, the, 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 the other person's name, but it was Mr. and Mrs. Lorenza. And that was APRO. Uh, NICAP was made up of all the uh, military people and uh, other people who were interested. And unfortunately, what happened was those groups fell apart. 
mm-hmm. they were actually attacked by intelligence agencies, operatives working within the groups who essentially gained control and then just pulled the, the group apart. And so they became defunct. Now, the point here is that uh, when that happens, uh, there, this is an indication of malevolence, that there's a genuine need to suppress information. Dr. Gert gets this all the time. The intelligence community puts out a lot of disinformation, misinformation as well. And <clears throat> what happens is the general public picks up on this. And sometimes it comes in a book, sometimes it comes on a DVD, sometimes it's in a lecture, uh, it's in a TV program, a movie, et cetera, et cetera. And what it is, is you buy into the Kool-Aid, okay? And that Kool-Aid isn't necessarily good for you, uh, that it, it is potentially poison. And the problem is it's poison with disinformation. So you take a piece of truth that uh, can be substantiated, and you take another piece of truth from the UFO phenomena that can be substantiated. And then you take something that is unsubstantiated, that's basically a lie, and you put it between the two. Now the problem is what's true and what's false. Classic point is the abductions. This is the one problem area in the UFO community that they haven't yet got their heads wrapped around on because... When you're doing investigations of any kind, and particularly when you're researching, as I have been doing, and as anybody who, who's writing a book or uh, talking to people, is you've got to ask the right questions. If you don't ask the right questions, you don't get the right, uh, if you don't ask the right questions, you don't get the right answers, right? So the thing is, if you accept the abduction phenomenon, or if you accept the cattle mutilation uh, phenomena that's going on, uh, and you, they all point to ETs as being the culprits behind it, well, then that's your takeaway. That's what you are going to be basing everything on. So now all of a sudden there are good ETs and there are bad ETs, and the bad ones come in your bedroom late at night, and they'll haul you out of your bedroom either physically or take out your astral body out through uh, the, the ceiling or the window and onboard their craft where they can do all kinds of medical procedures on you. Now, you're going to ask yourself, look, I'm an ET, and I've come a thousand light years just to shove a probe up your ass. Does, <laughs> you know, like, give me a break. You know, I mean, that's not what they're here for. If you want to find out about humans, go to our cemeteries. Go dig them up. If, if you don't want to dig them up, go to our medical labs where all the cadavers are, 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 are in the cooler. You can find out anything you want to know about a human being from a cadaver. You don't need a live specimen. Or they say, well, wait a minute, We're taking, they're taking samples of semen and sperm and DNA and all the rest of it. They're, they're cloning. They're, uh, they're hybrid- Hybridization hybrid- program and all yes, that? Yes, all of this stuff. And, you know, the biggest supporters of this are Dr. J- Dr. Jacob. Uh, yeah. Uh, and um, the late Bud Hopkins. I spoke to Bud Hopkins about it a little bit. Uh, I didn't get a, a chance to really engage him because he was off, go, he was going to go somewhere. But essentially he uh, and, and oh, John Mack was the other one, the uh, 
psychologist. Now he probably had a little more um, balance view, balance, and he probably had a little more investigation. And and I think down the road he was changing his whole point of view on the abduction phenomena. But yeah. initially he started off that way. But Doctor J- uh, Jacobs, and I'm just trying to look at the library over here that I with his book, and I got one of his books. But anyways, he's one, uh, along with Bob Hopkins, that promoted this idea that ETs were gray, that they were really zeta reticulin uh, from the from a star system reticuli, and that uh, they were gray with big heads and almond-shaped eyes and skinny little bodies and arms and legs, etc. <clears throat> and they were essentially uh, abducting people. Now, what most people don't realize is that when we go back uh, to the period of 1947, and even earlier during the war, there were other uh, crash retrieval programs going on, but they weren't uh, really talked about. And, and the, the clamp of secrecy went down on them pretty hard so that nobody really knew what exactly was happening. And to be honest with you, even the military didn't really know what they had in their possession mm-hmm. in terms of technology. It wasn't until around 47 uh, that inadvertently somebody spilled the beans of uh, the Army has, its, has uh, a, a flying saucer in its possession. And then a, a few days later, they dismissed it and said, no, no, we made a mistake. It was a balloon. But in actuality, they had recovered. Uh, an extraterrestrial vehicle. And probably two, not just one, but two, because they believe now there was two crashes, and not the one that was, there was one on the Brazel, Mac Brazel farm back in 47, and that was where all the scattered debris was all over the place. But that was only a portion of what they found. Uh, the, the main craft was a few miles further away in a little uh, gully or rio uh, where there were bodies there. And then the other one was in St. Augustine, uh, miles further away, uh, and that was the second crash. Now, the thing is that both crashes were, uh, were retrieved and the bodies were retrieved. And a huge, huge military cordoned area of that area, which was around Roswell, and it was like a big triangular area. And if you were trying to drive into a certain area, you didn't matter where you went for about 125 miles in that area you couldn't get in that's how big an area they cordoned off now the thing is they they took that craft back and they went to work uh and basically threw a manhattan uh style type program at it to reverse engineer it but what they don't talk a lot about was what they did with the bodies the fact was they were doing the same thing in uh, understanding the DNA of the uh, of the extraterrestrials, and uh, a lot of uh, DNA engineering and manipulation was going on at that time. You also have to understand that after the Second World War, uh, the United States basically had gotten hold of a lot of German Nazi. Uh, technology, as well as 1,500 of their best scientists.
so you're gonna you're gonna get into how this uh, overlaps with abduction or how this leads yeah, to well, abduction. What 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 it is is that uh, the the, uh, the DNA engineering and manipulation of, of, of alien DNA, um, they were able to clone extraterrestrials, and I I talk about this in my book. And that I believe, this is my theory, okay. uh, and that is that the cattle mutilations uh, that, that are uh, being found, particularly in New Mexico, Colorado, the Midwest states, mm-hmm. that where they're finding missing uh, uteruses and, and sex organs and tongues and parts of the face are missing and that sort of thing, uh, and holes in the abdomen. Um, what they're doing is, this is military. They're, they're being able to uh, leap ahead and disguise helicopters to look like UFOs using a holographic projection. Uh, what they do is they, uh, they fly over the cattle ranches, uh, shoot an, inf- uh, an ultraviolet uh, paint uh, ball at um, uh, one of the, the cattle that are interested, which can only be seen with uh, ultraviolet light. So in the daytime, you don't see anything. At nighttime, it shows up like, like a glow-in-the-dark type of sticker, right? Mm-hmm. They come back in in stealth mode, uh, either a stealth helicopter or a stealth helicopter that looks like a UFO, and they drop the hoist down, pull up the, ca- the cow, take off to some nearby area, and most of these bases are usually within 50 miles. And 50 miles in a helicopter is nothing. It's like a few minutes. So all this can be done all in one evening. Then they go back, drop the cow back down roughly in the area where it came from and fly off again. Maybe in a tree, maybe uh, on a fence. Exactly. Exactly. Now what they've done is they've taken the DNA. I believe this is what they're doing. They've taken the the cattle DNA, which is similar to humans, by the way. And they then use this DNA and they merge it by splicing uh, it in with uh, alien DNA. And there's probably a little bit of human DNA in all of that. And what they do is they create a programmable life form, PLF, okay? That's and the grays. And the PLF looks like the typical gray. And there have been a number of cases where these things have shown up, and they, don't, they do not behave in the, in the traditional ET fashion. They have an agenda, and the agenda is to uh, take some of your DNA. You know, and, you, and if you start asking the question, why are they doing that? It's not for the most obvious reasons, which is they're trying to create hybrids of themselves, and you get these uh, humanoids that look human, but they also look like gray. That could be a part of that as well. And some of that is being deliberately done by the military-industrial complex. And so what you're getting, therefore, is some very good uh, representations or reproductions of these alien life forms that look and behave like greys. Now you've reverse engineered their craft, you've actually duplicated it and made a number of them. Now you can put your ETs on board the craft, they go off and they fly out and do the missions, come back in, everybody says, oh, I just saw a UFO. Uh, and it did this and it did that. Oh, and I saw some ETs. And yeah, they took this piece, they took this cattle or this cow and they dropped it back later. Yes, because that's what they want you to believe. And these are what I call terrestrial extraterrestrials. They're manufactured here on Earth. 
Okay. And I got the proof for that. I can, I can prove that cloning has been going on not only recently, in recent times, but it's, it's, a, it's thousands of years old. And the simplest form of it is taking the best of an animal and mating it with the best of another animal to get a bigger and better animal, right? Cattle at one time were no bigger than pigs. But <clears throat> through proper uh, uh, mating, uh, you can get a nice big jersey or heifer or whatever and lots of steak on them, right? Mm. Uh, pigs, I've seen pigs now that I didn't know even existed, but they're the size of cows. They're huge. And that's through natural reproduction. Now, what they've been able to do, when I was a young man, back in the 60s, they actually cloned a monkey, a rhesus monkey. And I actually remember the article and I was—I think I was living either in the, uh, in Ontario or, or, or had just moved out into BC, and I, I clipped out the the article and I found it, and I've also found it on the internet, but it's not widely distributed, so you got to look for it. They cloned a rhesus monkey, and then they just hushed it all away. Mm-hmm. The next time you heard about cloning was from Dolly the sheep. Yeah, yeah. So Dolly the sheep was uh, another experiment that they came up with. Um, and that was uh, through one type of cloning process. The, ne- the next uh, level of cloning is to take the DNA of two d- divergent species and merge them together to get something from it. And they've taken the DNA of a goat and the DNA of, of a silk spider, put them together, put them in uh, interuterine into the, uh, the, the uh, goat, and when you uh, and uh, and the next level uh, of breeding, the goat uh, is born, and when the goat develops to maturity, you milk the goat, and you can extract the silk out of the milk. Huh. That's from that type of cloning. Now, this brings up a lot of interesting things. Yeah. For instance, the chupacabra. Chupacabra. Yeah, chupacabra. Uh, because they don't know what that is. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and you see all kinds of things on the internet. Oh, I think I just killed the chupacabra. When in fact, what it is is a, is a mangy coyote yeah, that's yeah, lost all yeah, its hair. Yeah. Right. Uh, these whoever puts this out is either deliberately doing it and is stupid uh, and, and ignorant, or they're doing it to try and fool people. But the fact is that when you hear what the descriptions are, this sounds like something that's been created in a laboratory. Yeah, yeah. That's escaped, yeah. and somehow. Uh, it's not just one or two, but a number of them have gotten loose. And I use the word loose with quotations uh, because I think some of them are deliberately being let loose into the environment. Uh, Puerto Rico is one place where that uh, all occurred. And there's a lot of scientists and ufologists that went down to investigate that. Uh, another thing that uh, cloning has uh, created, you can take, uh, they've now developed pigs that glow in the dark. <laughs> And what they do is they take the DNA bacon. of bacon. Yeah, glow bacon in the dark. <laughs> but apparently, you you take the DNA of a, a jellyfish, a particular jelly, a type of jellyfish that has luminescence, and you uh, can inject that into a, a living pig, or through the breeding of that pig, produce piglets that will essentially glow in the dark uh, with some form of um, either ultraviolet or naturally. And just the other day, I saw a glow-in-the-dark kitty cat. 
So, you know, when people say cloning hasn't gotten very far, they're not being, they're either very ignorant or they're not telling you the truth because it's leaped uh, uh, across all kinds of boundaries. And I believe, again, this is part of my belief, is that Dr. David Suzuki, one of the reasons why he got out of geneticism was because he's a very ethical, moral man, and he didn't like the direction in which it was going. And I believe it was going into areas that was tampering with other life forms uh-huh. that were creating these new forms that never existed on the planet before. Okay. Something so, seems kind of fucked so so up about glow in the dark pig, too, actually, looking at the picture. Yeah, look, something look up, seems unnatural about. Yeah, that. they have glow in the dark uh, goldfish as well, and but you should look up the one uh, glow in the dark kitty cat or glow in the dark kitten. Yeah, I want to get get back to a, another part of the abduction thing. So that's what you think explains the the normal abduction phenomena, and then we have the MyLab abduction phenomena, no, which which is that is that like just a different faction of it, it, another secret uh, group, sort of. Yeah, you got many factions who got their own interests, yeah, of, yeah. their own agendas. And some of them work together, some of them don't. Some of them uh, may work together, but don't agree with each other. Right. And, uh, and so they go off and do their own yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and so you get these military abductions, particularly when somebody who has had a legitimate ET experience that's encountered uh, an ET. Right. And, and it's been very positive for them. So then they come, the, the military uh, uh, black ops swoop in with our black helicopters, create another scenario of an abduction. Now they paint, they, they create a, a negative uh, uh, situation that uh, produces a negative mindset in the person. And, and then they're returned back to their homes. What happens is that person then uh, wakes up and says, I've got marks in my body from this and that, and that the experience was awful. And, and so what happens is, this produces the mindset that runs that runs rampant throughout ufology, and that is certain ETs are hostile, certain ETs are malevolent, and they're not. Because how do you explain, for instance, that there are groups of us who go out sometimes in the hundreds? Mm-hmm. And I have been a part of a of a group that was two hundred people, and we had all kinds of UFOs show up. And not one of us is missing time. Not mm-hmm. one of us has a scoop mark or some marks on us. Not one of us has had a medical uh, um, um, up the ass. On it. Yeah. And none of us is missing time. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing is, what it is, is that uh, how do you explain groups of people having something positive while others are having something negative? It's because that what is happening to those people, and particularly in the United States, but now it's spreading out into other countries that are associated with the United States in its foreign policies. You see, you've got to dig deep for this information to make any sense out of it. But when you start to find out who's a friendly nation, who goes along with what America does, then these are the ones that have these types of uh, negative um, alien uh, encounters because uh, they're they're taking some of this technology and throwing it onto their own people. Confuse them. And there's a reason for that. Uh, And the reason for it is because uh, the military-industrial complex, and that's really a a name to cover what they call the cabal or the majestic 12 
or MJ-12, or it's the wealthy corporate uh, industrial elite. Um, it's all, it's, it's all fits that parameter, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, and basically, what it is, is that there is a powerful group of people who control all this information, and it's like a handful of people uh, when you compare it to the number of people on the planet. It's literally a small handful of people that know what's yeah, going on. Like a couple it, hundred in the, yeah, in the grand I, scheme of things. It's like, it's like the wealthy families and businesses of the world. Yeah. They're the ones that control all of this. And what it is, is they control the resources, the finances, the media, all politics, they control media. And now they're controlling, and, and this is the thing that I'm really upset with, they control some of this alien, te- te- alien technology. technology. Yeah, like the secret space program. Basically, exactly. they're responsible for exactly. that. And they're the ones behind it. And the reason for it is because they're breaking away from the rest of the world. It's a breakaway civilization or a breakaway society where they suddenly move in a different direction from the rest of the world, but they still have reliance upon the world in which they live. Yeah. So you still want to control it. If you watch the movie uh, Elysium. Yeah, Elysium, we, talk, we talked about that on our... That's what that's about. That's, that's the whole nature. Yeah. Every once in a while, you get to see a movie that isn't so off the wall as it appears to be, and it's actually revealing and telling you some inside information if you pay attention to it. A lot of people say, ah, no, nah, it's, it's, it's nothing. How can you pull that out of out of something that's fictional well the best way to discredit something is to to make a movie of it <clears throat> so then it's just it's just myth and and fiction at that point nobody yeah, will believe uh, it's uh, actually and, happening and the, best, and the best way to hide something is in plain sight yeah so that when you see it you won't recognize it yes that's that's the whole point behind this so military abductions which is my labs uh is a military covert uh, operation but it may also use some of the ET programmable life uh, assets to do this. Okay. So the thing is, uh, when you ask the questions like, well, if ETs have been here for a long time, like thousands of years, how come they haven't taken over the planet back then when we were nothing more than cavemen? Or when we were still throwing, our best weapons were arrows and spears, right? Uh, And and maybe catapults. That was it. That was our best technical advancement. Um, you know, that would have been easy pickings for any advanced uh, technology to come in and take over a planet. But then they never did. But they were around because history records their presence. They may have actually influenced us, but they don't seem to have influenced us so negatively. When you look, and you have to be very careful, when you look at what man does, it's usually in opposition to what I call divine spiritual teachings. If you do the opposite, you create problems. Mm-hmm. You do what is asked of you, you don't have problems. Right. Okay, so if ETs are there, do you think that they're really guiding humanity and saying, let's make sure humanity is constantly at war, and let's make sure that they do, they do things so that they really don't get very far? Well, wait a minute. Why are you wanting to do that? When you've got a very simple civilization that bearskins and, and knives and, and, and uh, uh, spears is the best we've got, that's controllable. You can do anything that you want at that point. Now, are they benevolent to the point that they're here to eat us for lunch? They would have done so already. They would have done so already, and they haven't. They're not here for that. In fact, there's nothing here on this planet that they want from us. Why? Because if you can get from the farthest reaches of the universe to here, 
or even the closest, which is maybe a few hundred light years to here, then you've got a technology and a civilization so advanced that material resources is not really a factor. In fact, all the resources you need are probably within your home planet hmm. and not on some other star system. In fact, I'll go one step further saying their technology is so far advanced that they can produce this literally out of nothingness. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is you have an idea, you have a thought, you have an idea, you have a concept. It goes from the ideation to the causation to the physical realm of existence. And when you have people who use their minds, maybe hooked up with some machinery that interfaces with that, the conscious tech, tech, uh, technology, conscious assisted technology or technology assisted consciousness, you can produce the stuff. So what, when you actually analyze what is all of physicality around us, it's nothing more than energy. The fact is that at some point it uh, interfaces and merges in a matrix. And at that point of, of, of convergence, a physical particle comes into being. But actually, it's not a physical particle. You look at that and you find out that it's made up of atoms and quirks and charms and upness and downness and strangeness and all these uh, quantum particles that what you're really looking at is energy. There's nothing there. Mm. Yeah. So the, then you, you start to ask all these questions, well, then how does that all come into being? Certain resonance and frequencies bring it all together. And when it comes together, it forms a, 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 a pattern of, of uh, physicality. could be a human, could be a glass of water, could be a TV monitor, etc. How are we doing for time, by the way, guys? Uh, we're doing pretty good. We're, we're starting to run out. Um... And there's so much more to talk about. So no, I, I have a, I touched the book. It's, yeah, I know, I know. But but you are touching the book because I'm sure a lot of it, this is in the book. Some um, of it is in the book. You're, yes. you're kind of just about to get into like the holograph universe and uh, and yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. like that. So <laughs> so I do have a quick question about abductions before we go too much further. So how do you explain then the overlap or the parallel between people <clears throat> who see? or experience entities on uh, DMT or, or psychedelics? Because, you know, there are some parallels there. Well, having never done that, uh, that aspect of, of using psychotropic drugs, uh, it's kind of hard to speak on it. Yeah. But uh, the, the, fact, the fact is, you know, what is... What is uh, drug-induced illusions and what is um, personal uh, psychological delusions is really a hard thing to determine Um, because people claim, and I think some of them rightfully so, that they have seen beings and creatures of one sort or another, even paranormal-type beings of some kind. Uh, Because you're using a drug then you really have no way of knowing what's real and what isn't. And I say, I say to people, look, the best drug in life is the one that's natural, that's God-given, that's something you can do for yourself and that you don't have to imbibe in order to get an experience from. In other words, um, the best experience is right between your ears. And if you utilize it and understand how to, uh, to uh, say, meditate, for instance, you can have all those experiences that people who use the psychotropic drugs claim to have. Don't forget that in the military-industrial complex, uh, 
using uh, there's a different there's a, a layers of um, control and suppression of memory that they use psychotropic drugs is one of them hypnosis is one of them sensory deprivation is another you know a mind uh, altering uh, uh, implants uh, with chips and 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 the, the like can do it certain microwave beams that you constantly aim at somebody mm-hmm. repeatedly over and over and over again particularly during their sleep will induce all of that yeah yeah yeah, and we make DMT out of our own body, apparently. So who knows what's being triggered uh, yeah. and how. There's got to be some parallels there with, with people seeing, there is. seeing and, beings. And, and the thing is, I mean, I can't speak to it because I really don't know enough about it. Uh, but the thing is, I never put down somebody's experience uh, that they have because it's real to them. And that's the whole point behind it. Uh, if they've had a real experience, who am I to come in and tell you that what you saw wasn't what you saw, that what you, what you experienced was this? Uh, I, can't be, I can't say that because I wasn't there. Uh, and so uh, to try and see through the eyes of another means trying to understand what somebody is saying to you. You know, you can ask all the pertinent questions you want, and hopefully from that, uh, elicit a more factual piece of information. But at the end of it, it's still that person's experience. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's get into your let's get into your book there before we run out of time. So you have been working on this textbook type book for five years now. And I don't know how you're going to get it published because it's probably too (laughs) thick to be published. But do you want to talk a bit about that? I've always been meaning to do this, even probably back at the time when I met you and, and started getting involved in C-SETI, um, because I, I, I've accumulated quite a few books over the years uh, on the UFO subject. And as I got into it, I started to realize that there were certain pieces of information that I felt were not factual or that I had some disagreement with. And I thought it may be time for me to start sitting down and actually putting something together. And I think the fact was that I had read most of uh, Dr. Greer's books uh, that he had put out at the time. And a lot of what he put out, I, I uh, wholeheartedly agreed with. There wasn't too much there that I, I, I disagreed. Uh, but I also felt that more could be said. And so I started working on this about five years ago, or actually uh, it will be about five years this month. And uh, uh, I figured that after approximately 60 years of living, I had enough information in my head accumulated on my uh, bookshelves and and in my DVD collection that I could sit down and put something together. So what I thought I'd do is put down a compendium of everything you wanted to know about ETs and UFOs, and um, give it right from the basis of knowing nothing, how to go out and recognize conventionality, things that fly around us all the time, even when it flies in unusual ways, how to identify atmospheric phenomena, uh, astronomical phenomena, different types of aircraft, uh, Japanese lanterns and balloons and you name it. Uh, and so basically it goes from that point and then I get into the, the antiquity and the history of, of the subject and talk about the religious aspects of it. It's, it is a, um, as you said uh, earlier, it's an encyclopedia of information. It's 2,500 pages long. That's already, and, that could be five. Uh, easily five Five, 500 page volumes. 
Yeah, easily. Yeah. And I'm thinking, how do I mass market this? Nobody's going to buy a big book unless they special order it, right? And I'm willing to do it too. I'm willing to put, I'm going to put my book, I'm going to put it together. Probably I'll either print it out myself, go to somebody and get it printed up. And that will be my book. But if I'm going to do this, I'll probably break it down into about five volumes minimum. Uh, and uh, essentially what I'm calling it is the UFO and ET Rosetta Stone, the treatise on extraterrestrial uh, uh, the treatise on UFO, unidentified flying objects and extraterrestrial phenomena, the nature and reality of visitation, ET visitations to the Earth. Now, that's all a mouthful. But, uh, but the thing is, it's something like that. It's something like that. But essentially, it's the UFO and ET Rosetta Stone. And, and the Rosetta Stone is essentially, uh, if you remember, uh, it is a... Um, a block of, of uh, granite or something very similar to it, where three different types of writing are in, written on it. One is a common day Egyptian, other is the, the other language is hieroglyphic Egyptian, and the third is uh, um, uh, Greek. Mm-hmm. And what th- the person who found it was able to realize it was all the same thing because certain words were highlighted. And so he was able to deduce the translation of, of Egyptian language from that. Well, and what I've done is I've used this book in the same manner, that, that if you follow the thinking from basically knowing something that, that is interacting with us and looking at the history of that interaction, and you follow it up to present day and find out that who's got control of this, and it's the military-industrial complex, and how are they managing it, and how are they... Um, coercing, uh, coercing uh, their own military people to fall into line? How do the astronauts perceive it and how they are forced to fall into line behind it? Uh, I go from there to uh, looking beyond the Earth. What's in orbit? What's on the moon? There are, there are actual, uh, I would, want of a better word, I would call them cities on the moon. But some of them are on the dark side, and you can't see them. Some of them are on this side, but they're right along what they call the Terminator line, which is between light and darkness. And I go to Mars, and when we go to Mars, there's all kinds of artifacts. And they're still, they've said, we found water, we proved there's water, now we're looking for microbial life. I got news for you. It goes beyond microbial life. It goes to higher advanced intelligent life forms. And some of them may still be present. That you've seen this through remote viewing and stuff? No. I have actually have come across one of the NASA's raw images and looked it over because Richard Hoagland um, put on his site um, that uh, NASA goes apartment hunting. And that was his title for his paper. And I looked at it and read it, and I thought, okay, I'm going to look at some of the areas that he looked at. And I thought, uh, I don't see what he's. I can't see what he's seeing. Yeah. And yeah. I thought, oh, wait a minute. I better look harder. So I, I blew up the picture, and sure enough, I started to see what looked like parts of buildings, rebar, walls, blocks of stone. And as I looked carefully, I found a couple of humanoid heads, robotic heads, I believe, or uh, a child's play a toy head, and. One is, 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 is very obvious. The other one is lying on his side. And I've, I've labeled them data. Uh, he, Richard Hoagland found uh, one of the photographs on the moon. 
the uh, an art, an alien artifact. It was a, a robotic head. They call it Data's head, named after the Star Trek Next Generation yeah. episode. Data's head. <laughs> I have found Data's head's brother, Lore, on Mars, <laughs> and that's not the only thing I found. I found a box-like construction. I have also found a Martian body. Okay, nice. think about that for a second. Not only are there fossils and bones of, like there's one place you go into and it looks like a, an animal boneyard and you can pick out skeletons and, and pieces of bone and things that are similar to what we have here on Earth. And some people already found humanoid skulls. Well, I've now come across what I believe to be a body lying beside two different types of animals, lying beside a piece of technology. And one part of that technology belongs to another piece of technology not too far away that could be his spaceship or land cruiser or whatever. Hmm. And I thought somebody would have found this by now. And I, I sat on this for over a year. And I'm ready to spill my guts on it because if I do, <clears throat> it's what we've all been looking for. Well, you just spilled them. <laughs> I just did, yeah. Uh, and I thought I, when I saw this spot, I thought it was just another rock. And I was just about to move off the photo and look at another one. And then I thought, there's something there that looks familiar. And I went back and looked at it and blew it up. And sure enough, there's a humanoid body, head, torso, looks like an arm and some other parts. And then I went and looked up cadavers and corpses on the, on the internet and to find something that looks similar to it. Mm -hmm. Damn if I didn't find something that looks similar to it. And I thought, this is exactly what it looks like. <laughs> so at some point, I've got to get it up on the internet to post it. I've already copyrighted it. Uh, I'm not telling anybody where what uh, soul day it comes from, but it's 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 there. If people want to go and plod through all the hundreds and thousands of pictures, but I know which day it comes from. And on top of that, there's other technology that I found and other structures on the moon. Uh, not the moon on Mars. So that's part of it. And all that says is that at some point in the past, probably as far back as 50 to 70 million years, there was a type two civilization in the solar system and that we weren't the first. And we could very likely be the descendants of these, this group of people who lived on Mars, who traveled throughout the solar system, who traveled throughout the stars. And for some reason, ended up on Earth. And there are actual structures on Mars that look very similar to structures on the Earth. Huh. <laughs> yeah, that's good. We're not alone. We never have been. Never have been. So have you, have you heard about this, this uh, hexagon on Saturn at all? Is that a new thing? Yeah, have you seen? I just saw a picture of it. It looks really weird. Yeah, I was yeah. looking at it today too. I think that's old news, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's old news. What it is is hyper, uh, hyper, uh, hyperdimensional spatial geometry, and what it is is that the north, the north pole, and even on the south pole, because of the way the uh, weather uh, moves around on the planet, it forms a hyperdimensional uh, geometric form, which is a hexagon. And actually, there's something similar on Earth, and actually, it may be similar on all planets that have a weather pattern. 
<coughs> Richard Hoagland predicted this. And actually at 19.5 degrees, there is a spot on Saturn, not on Saturn. Uh, yeah, there's a weather pattern on Saturn at that uh, uh, latitude. Mm-hmm. And on Uranus, there's a spot. And on Neptune, there's a spot. All, both at those latitudes. And if you look at the Earth, there's a spot on the Earth that ha- at that latitude, which is Hawaii, <coughs> which is uh, a vortex. Uh, and so you have to imagine a... So it's, it's good to live in these vortexes. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, you have to imagine uh, a, a sphere, and within that sphere are two pyramids. And they're three-sided, they're uh, four-sided, big pardon. <coughs> Three sides with a base. And one is sitting like a, uh, somewhere around the North Pole, and the other one is inverted, it's sitting at the South Pole. And so when they, uh, when they uh, merge together, the, the bases move past each other, and where they end up is at 19.5 degrees. That's the mystical number. 33 uh, and uh, 33 and a third is also uh, cosine is also a hypothetical number, which is E equals, this is something that you have to read Hoagland's papers on this. He talks about the, um, the constant E and its, per, and its, uh, its number, it's uh, 33 and a third, I think it is, and, uh, or 19.5. What is, what is, there's two of these. And a lot of things that NASA does hinges around these numbers. Wow. 33. 33 is a magic number. Or 13, uh, 19.5. The fact is that even some of the moons in in our solar system may be artificial. Hmm. I just finished a book that says that our moon might be artificial. Yes, yes. It's very possible. If it is, it's probably the largest moon that in our solar system that's artificial. Uh, there's one book out that you may you may ne- may not be able to get hold of. I mean, if you thought a 2,500 page book would be expensive, there's one that beats mine easily, and it's only about 130 <laughs> pages. It's worth 2,500 dollars, and it's only 130 pages, but it's written by scientists, and it's called the Rings, the Ring, Ring Makers of of Saturn. And you can actually get it for free on the internet. Mm. And if you read through it, it explains, and I've got this in my book too, uh, how the rings of Saturn are formed, how some of the moons are formed, why they're positioned where they are, and that the spaceships that form them are planetary size. Some of them are bigger than planets. There's one that they figured is about 25,000 kilometers in length, and you could stick a moon inside of it and, wow. fl- and fly off with it. Hmm. So, the, so the other thing that um, <clears throat> that you've coined, I guess, uh, you were you were telling me when we were on the phone the other day, is CE6. Uh, yeah, the CE six and seven. So you're taking it past CE five. Oh yeah, I've taken it past. Uh, there's actually one fellow who's gone up to twelve, but he can't prove. Uh, how he can't prove the 12. Uh, in fact, he has difficulty on the 6 and the 7. I've actually can prove the 6 and the 7. Uh, the 6 is, uh, there was an incident uh, back in 1991, which is, I believe, I have to dig out more information on it, but I'm pretty certain that it revolves around Story Musgrave. And he comes back and says that, yeah, there's life in the universe. But what he didn't tell you was that he met with it. Uh, and that uh, NASA and, and their astronauts have been meeting with ETs probably on a regular basis when they go off into space. In fact, Clark 
McLennan, McLennan, uh, who was a former science uh, um, science uh, operator, science C C, C yeah C S S C S O C S O. He was a science officer for for various um, NASA projects and programs like Mercury, uh, Gemini, Apollo, etc., mm-hmm. uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera, the space shuttle. He saw in his video monitor in Cape Kennedy uh, that the one of the shuttle bay uh, uh, had its bay doors open. I believe it was Columbia, and he saw two astronauts conversing with a nine-foot-tall being, each <laughs> nine feet tall, and it was standing in the middle of the of the cargo bay. And these two astronauts were tethered. And apparently, he said, "I wasn't the only one to see it." I'd like to know who this other witness is, but apparently he is a, his credentials are impeccable. He's well respected by other astronauts, and some of them are actually backing up his statements. Uh, and so that would be a CE6. In other words, you have to be an astronaut or a cosmonaut in order to, to engage in this, because you have to be off the Earth in space or on another planet, and where you're not only seeing... Um, ET craft, which would be the similar uh, to the CE one to six or <laughs> CE one to four on Earth, but it's now in space, and the actual contact, uh, which would be regarded as a CE four and five, is now a CE six because it's out in space, and that means that ETs are are conversing and communicating and in contact with human beings. In fact, the ET that he, uh, these two astronauts were conversing with, there was another one inside the spaceship, inside the um, the shuttle. Hmm. I think it was the shuttle. And uh, they, I've heard that they've also been on board the International Space Station. Uh, the craft uh, that this large being came from, apparently he didn't have all the backpack equipment on that the other astronauts had. He was rather, he was tall, between eight and nine feet tall, and was relatively thinner in proportion, and his helmet was not as large as the human helmets. And um, his craft looked similar to a B-2 bomber, but little differently. If you go on there and, 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 and Google nine-foot-tall alien uh, out in space, something like that, you'll get it. And you'll get uh, Clark McClendon's uh, account of that. And if you do a lot more research, you can pull out the story from different uh, areas on the internet. I had to piece it together because some of it wasn't completely fleshed out from his website because you have to buy his book. But I, I've already fleshed it out and, and found other references and things for it. Um, but that's a CE6. A CE7 uh, basically is when you communicate with extraterrestrials on an altered uh, level of consciousness. And in fact, this is what we do when we go out and uh, meditate underneath the stars. We're doing a physical CE5, but in the process, we're actually doing a CE7. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, So there may be some issues around if that's a legitimate one or not, but this could be done anywhere, okay, out in space, on Earth, wherever. The thing is, what you get is, and ideally the best way that it works is that you have to have a corroborating person or a piece of evidence to confirm the uh, the intuitive information that you're getting. Right. So is so, that like channeling then, or uh, it, it may be? I, I I'm a I put channeling 
channeling into a gray basket because I don't really know if it's a real thing that's happening or whether it's just a delusional thing that's okay. happening. But the thing is that there may be some premises or some uh, aspects of reality to it. But the thing is that when you are getting this information, and I, I think I may have experienced at CE7 when I was in Colorado and with Stephen Greer, and uh, I was up in my bedroom, and I was remote viewing, and I thought I was on board a spacecraft. And I was looking down at the ground, and what I saw was the great uh, national sand dunes below. It was a, uh, an image that I couldn't possibly have seen because I'd never flown over there. So how would I know that's what it was? And yet, I was in the spacecraft. It was landing. It landed on sand dunes. My consciousness moved away. And then I could see the spacecraft, and it was on a slight angle. And then I moved further away, and it was, it was moving closer towards me. So I go downstairs. I have a debriefing with Dr. Greer and the rest of the other 30-plus people that are there. And he asked us if anybody did remote viewing, and I said, I did. He said, would you like to tell us? So I told him that story, a lot more embellished, of course. And then another woman said, I had exactly the same remote view. Two people have the same remote view. Now, we felt that this was real concrete information. Uh, we went out that day thinking it was going to happen, but it actually, the events unfolded the second day. And sure enough, that, that craft came down. I was watching through my binoculars. It landed on the sand dunes. It was on a slight angle, and it developed some vapor or fog around it, and then it came closer to the group, and then it moved away. That was real information. So that, to me, is a CE7. Do you think you were just seeing the future there? Like, uh, was it more I, of a... It was seeing the future. It was con confirmed by a second person. The events uh, unfolded as it did. I bilocated and I remote viewed. So there was about four or five different things that were going on. And it felt so real. Of all the things I've ever done in remote viewing, that was the most real. I felt I was there, and I thought, and yet I'm sitting in my bedroom. <laughs> yeah, and I'm think, and I haven't taken any drugs. The most I had was coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's you know part of my experience. Huh. Yeah, that's fascinating. So that's the CE seven. A little that's bit, the, a little different the, than the CE five kind of more like an altered state of conscious contact. Yes, yes, yes. yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, as I said, I have a lot of this um, uh, that I could pull up and, and read it to you, but I, I figured it would just take up too much time. Yeah, yeah. But um, the thing is, you know, I, I think we've run out of time, but what I'd love to do is to do this again with you, and uh, I'll try and get more into the book, because uh, by then I, I should have really wrapped it up by then. I'm just going through some other details that I left out a few things, and I'm just filling in some holes. But essentially, the book is done. Absolutely. We'd love to have you back. Yeah, we kind of flew through two and a half hours there. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm trying to cram in so much information, but I haven't even got started. Yeah, it's, it's, it really does feel like... Uh... I've got questions here I wanted to ask. It feels like we're just scratching the surface, but maybe what we'll do is we'll have you back uh, when your book is out there and we can plug it and link to it. And Well, uh, here's the thing. It, the book may not actually hit uh, public mainstream uh, for a while because as one person pointed out to me, I, I have a lot of pictures 
And the fact is that some of some of the pictures are probably copyrighted. Oh yeah. And so uh, to take those pictures out would probably destroy some of the content of what I'm trying to get across because sometimes pictures speak louder than words. Some of them are, are my own pictures uh, that I have rightfully uh, found and used and uh, some are slightly altered but only to try and uh, take away some of the similarity from the original without destroying the actual evidence. It could be a border, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, sort of thing, uh, or highlighting as opposed to leaving it in the dark and trying to guess what you're looking at. Um, but some of the other stuff, it, it may be copyrighted. The worst case scenario here is this. I would probably still try, if anybody's interested, I would sell it to them, but it would be more or less under the table. And uh, they would have a very unique book, but it probably will not be cheap. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, I can put it onto a DVD, a flashcard. Ideally, what I want to do is to put it in a book form and include a DVD because this book isn't like no other book. It's interactive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in other words, you not only just read something, but you can go to the actual sources of where I got the information, and you can go to the video and watch the video. No other book, as far as I know, does that. And so that becomes a fairly interactive book. And um, you can't get it from just the book per se the, in, the, in the pages. The, you have to have a DVD or a flashcard to go with it that allows you the hyperlinks. And once you have yeah, all this, the images. Oh, yeah. Then you're going to get the goodies for sure, right? Uh, I mean, all the pictures will be in the, in the book, but the hyperlinks won't be. Although I'll have all of that listed. So if you want to type it all out onto your internet, you can go through it very slowly and you can eventually get to everything that I've been to. Uh, but if there's a DVD or a flashcard with it, boom, it will take you there. Yeah, that sounds good. You know, but the, the worst case scenario is if I can't sell it, I'll dump it on the internet. Yeah, that, <laughs> work, that always just, works. And then watch the shit fly. <laughs> hey, you never know. We've got, you know, we've got a lot of people doing a value for value model now, right? Where people will pay for stuff, even if, uh, even if you put it out there, you yeah. know, they'll donate or they'll, they'll, they might pay for it if they think it's valuable. So that might be a way to go too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I know, I know one podcaster out of Montreal, he, uh, he does philosophy. He puts his books on, on his site for free and he gets a lot of donations. Yeah. Yeah. He has a free model of his, his podcast and his books and he, and he makes a living off of donations. So yeah, well, that's how, that's why I need a website. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> because then I can load that all up and, and put it on there. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually uh, putting this in, actually, if you go to my uh, Facebook account, uh, which is uh, C City, Vancouver, C City. It was no, C City, Vancouver, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Terry Bando, and then you can go, or directly you can go to C City, Vancouver. You'll start to see some of the stuff I'm actually putting into the book on there. It's very, very minimal, but it's stuff that uh, is, is new. And uh, one of the things you remember the um, disclosure project. Yeah, uh, I mean, I had I've actually had Stephen Greer up here uh, uh, in Vancouver. I was the first one to do it in Canada. And uh, but, anyways, in his uh, press club, national press club um, uh, account of disclosure, he holds up a big blueprint of a of a, a man made uh, flying saucer. Mm -hmm. Remember that. 
I don't remember that specifically. Okay, watch, watch his, uh, go to his uh, website and look for that, and you'll see uh, when he when they come to that section. Yeah, uh, Mark McLennan. Yeah, different person from Clark McLennan. Uh, anyways, he holds up this great big. I have the photograph of the of the UFO. Oh, okay. Not only in black and white, I have the color. Huh. And that's something I don't know if Greer's got. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, he probably does, but I'm surprised he didn't show it because I would have shown it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> have you ever thought of uh, an Indiegogo or a, a Kickstarter to, to finalize the, your project? Um, no, but I'm, I'm, I'm obviously open to ideas, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I, uh, I mean, I've bought a couple things off of Indiegogo and, uh, people have raised money. They've surpassed their goals. Some of them, I mean, yeah. I'm sure some of them haven't, but especially because you've done already five years of work and you have something tangible, yeah. it's a little easier than just an idea that you're asking for uh, yeah. money from, right? If you can show them how close you are to your, your goal and, and what you want to do, it might be a, a good way to raise some money for that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'll be looking at all those options for sure. And uh, whatever people want to suggest to me, I'll be, I'll look at it as well. I mean, I had some ideas of how I thought I'd go about presenting this book. Ideally the book, when I first wrote it and developed it, it is a textbook for me to use as a, a teaching tool to teach a, cor- a night course for uh, adult ed. Right, right, for, right. Uh, you know, an uncredited course that would probably run at least 10 weeks. Yeah. And uh, essentially it was to educate people on the subject and give them what I hope is the best information out there. I mean, I've literally gleaned a lot of information and I've tried to tap into the best uh, minds available mm-hmm. and uh, the best uh, uh, writings and documents that they have and giving them full credit when they when I've used uh, their some of their text or some of their pages or whatever uh, so uh, I, I will not alter that and put my name to it uh, if it's theirs it's theirs right but it's in the book and so I feel that as a textbook I can do that right. with the picture I may run into more problems with yeah. it but yeah. the thing is that uh, there may be ways to get around it and I may have to start writing to some of these people yeah. to yeah. get their permission yeah. but um, if I do that and I do get a lot of permission then I will probably uh, be able to go ahead and, and do a publishing on it Right, right. Uh, and I'll do like you say, break it up into five books, so it's a five volume, uh, and I don't know, fifty bucks a volume or something, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, either way, we'll have you back on to talk about it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Terry. It was a great chat. Uh, well, I I really enjoyed the time. I didn't know how it was going to go, and I I'm your smiling face there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's great. And uh, uh, I'll look you up when I come back to Vancouver to visit, and, and maybe well, I can time it around a, a, you know, a field trip or something. You just All you have to do is uh, you know, call me uh, ahead of time, say I'm going to be in, and uh, we'll, we'll get together, even if it's just for coffee and to talk, or yeah, yeah. maybe go out and do something. I'll rally the troops around. And- yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's great. There's something yeah. some UFOs. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right on. Well, well, well thanks I, a lot, Terry. It was, it was Dan, great uh, Dan, chat. I really appreciate you uh, allowing me the time to come on. And obviously we went beyond your... Uh, yeah. That's okay. <laughs> we have no time limits here in Grime America, so... All right. Well, take care and uh, all the best to you in all worlds. 
and welcome back to Grime America. Yeah, uh, that was a great chat. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Terry's a fascinating fella. Get this. His whole journey started by telephone, listening to like a pre-recorded message about all this shit, right? It's like a podcast before podcasts were even like thought of. It's like a analog podcast. Yeah, yeah. It's like the old party line kind of thing, right? Oh, yeah. The party line. Yeah. So, and then 30 years later, or however many years later, he's actually like on a podcast that's broadcast around the world. And written a UFO encyclopedia. Yeah. Yeah. And gone through a hell of a journey with lots of experiences. Like, this is the type of thing I love chatting about, right? Because he's just talking about the experiences he's had and, you know, in a free and open, accepting environment. Yeah, it was good. Big thanks to Terry for coming on. I know we had to make a couple... uh a couple uh, arrangements at home to get the to get the room and you know we ended up going two and a half hours instead of an hour so big thanks to terry for making the time and the accommodations for grime america yeah thanks for hanging in there terry and hopefully when your when your book comes out we'll uh chat with you about that yeah another couple hours maybe we should get terry and grant on together <laughs> and we'll just go for like eight hours yeah <laughs> So, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed it. A great chat. Uh, episode ran long, so I suppose we'll keep this short and sweet. Of course, uh, everything we talked about in the episode, all Terry's stuff, we'll have links to that uh, in the show notes. Um, who's up next? Uh, well, it's going to be either our meditation podcast or... No, it's going to be Tom Roberts will be oh, coming Oh, that's right. Next. Yeah, it's Tom Roberts. That was a good one, too. That's a good one, yes, too. And good. Uh, our next guest coming up that you guys still have a chance to get in questions for is Robert Schock. Uh, that interview is going to be Tuesday. Uh, this is probably Friday. I'm probably in a plane while you're listening to this. Yeah. Anyway. Forgotten Civilization. Robert Schock's the guy that basically yeah, discovered that the shit, Sphinx right? was uh, older than the pyramid. Yeah, and solar flare stuff, I think, yeah. too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually, uh, oof, I got uh, quite a few chapters still to read in that book. Yeah. But I got it, I'll have plenty of time over the weekend. Yeah, cool. And so, that's about it. So yeah. send uh, send any questions or comments yeah, in. Spam gram, bitches. Gram at gramamerica.com. That's G R A H A M. Graham. 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 Anyway, guys, thanks for listening. As usual, everything's in the show notes, uh, the music you heard, and uh, all that jazz. Thanks for listening, guys, and we will catch you next week. Don't look